listeners and welcome aboard costume station zero i'm here with a very special guest you might have seen her at dragon con or at TimeGate. uh i'm here with uh pen wiper aka jen jen welcome thank you for having me on so you have heard the podcast you know the drill how did you get into cosplay <laughs> um it's it's really all dragon con's fault um i one year just on on a total whim, decided to go to Dragon Con. I had never been to a convention before in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else I knew from a fandom I was in then uh, was going to Dragon Con and said, hey, you should come. This was back in 90, I think 98. Mm-hmm. So way before it got big. Um, I mean, it was big, but it wasn't a touch on what it is now. But you have to picture this. Very sheltered, homeschooled, 18-year-old who has barely ever dabbled in fandom. Mm -hmm. And I go to Dragon Con, and it is just so completely overwhelming. I spent most of the first day trying to figure out if I was going to make it out alive, or if I should just call my parents and say, I'm dead! Just, you know, (laughs) go on with it. But, um, But, you know, by the end of the con, I had just fallen in love. There were all these cool people, and I, I had brought nothing but T-shirts and jeans and stuff, and there's all these people in costumes around me. And it was just so cool, because um, growing up, I'd never kept Halloween. We didn't kept, keep Halloween as a family, so I'd never gotten to do any costuming, really. Oh. Um, and seeing all these people getting mm. to wear costumes and having so much fun, it was like the next year I said, I've got to bring a costume. So I did. Um, when I came back to Dragon Con the next year, I brought one one costume, and it wasn't even a character. It was just something I'd thrown together out of thrift stores. Um, a 1980s leather dress that I recut into a sort of a jerkin thing and a cloak and wore my hair down. And because this was Dragon Con in the 1990s, people actually took pictures of it. Nobody would even notice that these days at Dragon Con. I mean, people wouldn't even look twice. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, there was a lot less costuming, and it was before really the uh, fangirl explosion. So there weren't as many girls there. So, um, so wait, wait, wait. So, any girl no, no, in a I, costume got pictures. <laughs> I, I understand this phenomenon, but I always like to stress this to people who are new to the scene that cosplay, um, even the term cosplay, all of these things are fairly new and didn't really yeah, come in until much. what I want to say what early two thousands, give or take mid two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So no, no. Uh, so you you were experiencing this at the beginning of the wave, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting because there was a 
you remember being back in that scene in those days that there was a really kind of a clear cut line. There were the people in their homemade costumes that were very clearly homemade. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there were the people who knew what they were doing with costumes and they didn't share, you know, they were very, very possessive of their information back in those days. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really hard for any beginner costumer to even get close to their level because they wouldn't share any of their techniques or anything. Um, so yeah, there just wasn't nearly the level of costuming that there is these days. But, um, but yeah, so that was it. Dragon Con did it for me. Um, but, um, trying to think my first real costume as in replica costume would have been, uh, round about the time that Dragon Con I was getting interested in Dragon Con and wearing costumes. Um, the Lord of the Rings films came out. Right. And <laughs> an illustration of how much fandom has changed. Um, there I am at Dragon Con back. They've just announced that they're making the movies. They've just announced the very first casting. Um, I think it was John Reese Davies' Gimli. So there's one single panel at Dragon Con this year about the films that they're making, you know, we've just found out this little bit of information. Mm-hmm. Packed solid room. Right. There's me and one other girl. Everybody else in the room was male. I gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, like, two years after the films came out, it's almost the inverse. <laughs> yep. The, I mean, it, it's just amazing mm-hmm. how having um, something like that a mainstream representation pulled in all these people who didn't know that it was okay to, to do this. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, once they got into it, they were gung ho. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. No, no, um, I, I think there are, there's almost <laughs> a, a sociology paper one could write about the rise of, of kind of geek culture, uh, the mainstreamizing of such things as fantasy and science fiction and comic books and how, yeah. and how it has become much more gender equal, um, on the fan circuit, um, you know, uh, I've talked to many of my friends who are of a- the age appropriateness of uh, the difference yeah. of going to a convention in the 80s or early 90s versus today. And it's not to say that there weren't girls back then or that there wasn't dress up back then. Yeah, there definitely it, were. Mm-hmm, but, but it was just on a different scale. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the ones back then were, um, if anything, actually, they were older. A lot of the women I remember from the early mm-hmm. conventions were um world or yeah not many mm-hmm. young ones yes i would agree with that although did you see there was a posting someone put on facebook um this is a, a week or two ago and it was all about uh, older cosplay at various science fiction conventions in the 70s um mm-hmm. and there's been some like i've seen some pictures from like Worldcon from the 60s and it's fascinating to see it it's like wow we, we sometimes you think oh this didn't really get going until the last like 15 years but it's been around for ages it's just a matter of the fact that you didn't have the internet to spread these these images around and make it like a very clear thing that was that was happening but it was there and some of it was fascinating from the perspective of i saw a lot more original cosplay it wasn't all yeah darth vader and star trek yeah, yeah. and it was a Very lot of much fantasy. You know, this is my space queen or whatever right yeah 
Right, right, right. And and yeah. women were not afraid of showing a little nudity with some of these things where, I mean, I guess you could just say it was the 70s. I don't know. But it was it, <laughs> it, definitely things you wouldn't get away with today. And uh, A and lot I'm, of chain wheel bikinis. Yes, yes. Outside of your slave lay, of course. But uh, it's it's just fascinating to see where, where it goes. I almost feel like, as I say, there's a paper or a... Or a, I don't know, a small press book in this or something. But um, anyways, so Lord of the Rings was uh, was kind of your gateway, uh, or yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I just gotten into conventions, and other people talked about going to the theaters in costume. Mm-hmm. You know, so I decided I was going to go to the theater in costume for uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. Which is slightly different experience for me than for them, I guess, because this is our three theater cineplex in a very small North Carolina town. Um, little tiny dinky thing. There's like me and three other people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And 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 it's and everybody's just staring in bafflement because nobody is expecting anybody to be in costume. Mm-hmm. At all, so that was very entertaining. But um, but yeah, I went into the movies, saw them, and it was just, um, I I got hooked on Lord of the Rings when I was about thirteen. Um, and it's been one of my fundamental and longest. I just I just love it. It's 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 more than a fandom to me. But um, so to see that on the screen and to be able to make the costumes and represent that was just a really, really cool thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um. And and so my first real character costume was actually a legless costume um, that my mother sewed for me. <laughs> doesn't doesn't everybody start that place? Oh, right, absolutely. That my mother sewed for me, mm-hmm. um, and it was really inaccurate, totally inaccurate. But I worked to Dragon Con this that year, and um, I think it was one of like six Lord of the Rings costumes I saw at Dragon Con that whole year, mm-hmm. and. Um, of course, that's funny because like the the movies had been out for a year at that point, and there's only like six costumes from it. And these days, there's like thirty costumes from it two months before the movie premieres. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's got so much more ins these days. Mm-hmm. Um, Power of the internet. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is right after this was what uh, Dragon Con of O two, or are you talking after all three films have come out? It would have been right after Fellowship came out. Okay. So, whichever year that was. Um, uh, well, so yeah, right. And the next year, I actually um, we decided we were going to go as a family for the Two Towers premiere to our new, brand new six theater Cineplex in town. Ooh, ah. um, for the noon opening mm-hmm. <laughs> because they didn't do midnight openings around here. Okay. Um, and so we put my father. Um, we made him a Gandalf the Grey costume and my sister a thrift store Frodo. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was the first costume. I upgraded my legless some, and that was the first costume pieces I ever actually made. Mm-hmm. Was um, I made the van braces and some arrows and a quiver. And it was all just, it was poster board and puffy paint and a leather coat from the thrift store that I just destroyed. But um, But it was, I spent hours researching it. You know, yeah. I, I, I like did detailed research into the design on his band braces and sure I just carved mine in with scissors and drew it on with gold gel pen, but I put in the research for it. Mm-hmm. And that was where I really got hooked on the making sure that you know what the details are, even if you end up fudging on them in the end, you know? Right, right. 
So, um, so your research at the time, was it pretty much just looking at the films? Was it, uh, finding what websites were around back then? What? Yeah. Um, there, there were a couple of big Tolkien sites back then, of course. Um, the one ring, but, um, I mostly hung out on one called, I think it was the white council. Mm-hmm. They had a good costuming for them. And of course the Lord of the Rings costuming Yahoo group. <laughs> Ah. Bless his heart. Oh, mm-hmm. Yahoo. Yahoo groups. I lived on that Yahoo group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of context there. And um, so so that was the first costume pieces I ever made. And and so um, I don't remember exactly what's, when Pirates of the Caribbean came out. If it came out right, I think it came out after. Return of the King. I can't 100% remember. Uh, it was but when Pirates... Same year, 2003. Yeah. Was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean came out. And, you know, just ridiculously fun show. Mm-hmm. And I just saw it on the screen and I said, I have to make a Jack Sparrow costume. I just have to. Mm-hmm. And um, But that was the first costume I made completely by myself. Because by this point, I'd walked around cons going, you know, people would say, oh, I love your costume. And I was like, Thanks, my mother made it. And, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when you're in your 20s, it just gets a little embarrassing. Keep saying, thanks, my mother made it. Mm-hmm. And I decided I didn't want to say that anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, so I decided I was going to make my Jack Sparrow costume myself from mm-hmm. scratch. Mm-hmm. I'd never sewn anything before in my life. Right. Had no idea what I was doing. Um, knew full well that it was a recipe for disaster to ask my mother to teach me how to sew because our tempers don't coincide very nicely for that kind of project. Okay. Um, All right. So, but I just got fabric, got a pattern from the store, um, and then just sat down and started. I just looked at the instructions and I just, it turns out you just cut the stuff out, you line it up, and then you take a needle and thread and you move it in and out until they stick together. <laughs> and it's like once you get started on it, it's not as scary as it sounds. Mm-hmm. So that was my first costume. I hand sewed an entire frock coat and vest. Um, and I made a tricorn out of chopped up leather pants. Mm-hmm. I soaked it in glue for stiffness and weathered it with shoe polish and sandpaper. And uh, my wig, my wig for my Jack Sparrow costume. I was a college student at this point, um, and I was too poor to even buy a wig. Mm-hmm. So I bought about four packs of that cheap braiding hair and used a pair of pantyhose, old pair of pantyhose to make a wig cap. Wow. And I hand sewed my own wig for Jack Sparrow. Does that outweigh uh, the amount you would have spent on a wig, by the way? I'm just wondering. I'm just curious. I was at that stage in my life where you have more time than you do money. Okay. All right. Now, Nowadays, it's kind of the reverse, you mm-hmm. know? Okay. But back then, I had plenty of time, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any money at mm-hmm. all. So, And it was it was a fun experience mm-hmm. um, to hand sew my own wig. So, yeah, when I got the con that year. I could say that I had made that whole darn costume myself, and that was a that was just a really cool feeling. Right, right. So you you basically learned to sew totally on the fly. You didn't even take a class. You didn't know. Yeah, pretty much all of my stuff has been totally on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I get bored when I follow directions. Okay. So the experimenting is a great deal of fun for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I'm constantly trying costumes that have new techniques and stuff Mm -hmm. 
and trying to figure out, you know, what can I do that's different? I don't want to just do sewing is fairly boring. (laughs) Once you grasp the basic concept of sewing, it's cutting pieces out in the right shapes and sticking them together with thread. Mm -hmm. So I like costumes where I have to do armor and crystals and things like that because costuming is the perfect ADD crafters craft of choice because I like knitting and I like sewing and I like beading but I can't do any of it for any length of time before I get bored and with costuming about the time when I get bored of sewing it's time to start beading and Mm -hmm. about time when I'm tired of beading it's time to make armor Mm -hmm. so I can actually finish a whole project without getting bored oh I see okay that's the secret that's the secret that's the secret um so uh so you would say that you were attracted to this hobby because it keeps you from getting bored or because it's a way for you to express fandom for things like Doctor Who and Lord of the Rings in a very outward fashion. Totally both. Mm-hmm. Totally both because I've dabbled in historic costuming mm-hmm. and theoretically that requires all the same skills, beading, sewing, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um and maybe it's different for like somebody who's a huge Civil War buff and is into Ulysses S. Grant or something like that. Right. But for me, it's not the same to say, oh, I just love the 1860s as it is to say, oh, I just love Doctor Who. You know, you do, uh, to me, having that bond to a character that I love or a, a concept that I love does have a lot to do with it. And and like in Doctor Who, I mean, the costumes I've been doing, I've been working on my bucket list, basically, of all the costumes I fell in love with as a teenager and have wanted to make ever since. And I've just been slowly knocking them off my bucket list. I only have one left on my bucket list. So, so I've done all the rest. Let, let, me, let me ask you, because you're, uh, um, you, you're obviously, you did not get into Doctor Who strictly off the new series, correct? <laughs> no, totally not. So Yeah, what- I'm uh, definitely an old school fan. Uh, okay, so what? So I, of course, I always ask, who, who is your doctor? What was your What was your first exposure to Doctor Who? Well, first exposure was looking back and knowing what house I was in and the angle at which I was watching the TV. I couldn't have been more than about three or four mm-hmm. um, PBS back in the day, uh-huh. and I even I've even figured out which era it was. Of course. It was the Starfield. It was the Starfield intro. So I knew it had to be Davison or Late Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to this day, that Starfield intro is still the Doctor Who theme for me. Mm-hmm. I just love it to bits. Um, but I figured out that it was Late Baker was what I much it was, must have been watching at that time. Because uh, later on, recently, I've watched those. And I've said, oh, that scene. I remember that scene from when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. So right. that's really cool. I have a lot of so, people yeah. who ask me, like, hey, what's, where's the episode where X and Y happens? And I have to point yes. them to the episode. Uh, so they go, because they want to find it again because they have these dim childhood memories. And they didn't, they yeah. never, yeah. So I, I completely understand that. Yeah, and it's things that I didn't even realize were Doctor Who mm-hmm. that I had confused memories of. And then I watch a Doctor Who and it's like, that's where that confused memory came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, first exposure was definitely as a small child back, um, you know, back in the early eighties. But mm-hmm. um, was it something? But after you, that, did you watch it a lot back then? Uh, my parents did, and so you know, small child, I'm just ooh, shiny TV. Mm-hmm. I'd you know, I'd probably rather have watched Mister Rogers at that age. But, sure, sure. Um, but 
then of course it went off PBS. But um, in the mid nineties, you remember they started releasing them on video. Oh yeah, on VHS. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Um, and my parents got that catalog signals, and they saw it in there, and they said, "Oh, this is that show we used to like." Let's get some and show it to the kids, you know, see if they remember it, see if they like it. Mm-hmm. So they just bought one on a whim. So my great reintroduction to Doctor Who was Castrovalva. Interesting. This in- incredibly confusing episode where the doctor dies. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here going, I don't understand this at all. Mm-hmm. But I think I love it. <laughs> 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 I, I do miss the days when you had to discover Doctor Who and just figure it out. There was no internet. There, yes. Yeah, there was yeah. no Wikipedia entry. You just you just went with it and figured it out. Um, but so, so would you? Yeah, I got. Um, they they started buying more of the VHS, which was um, they bought Davison and Baker because those were their doctors. Right. And then we had a family friend um, who her doctor was Pertwee uh-huh. and she had a stash of the target novelization. Ah. And so she brought those over. So I'm reading, you know, all the doctors in target form. And, um, so, so we branched out and we tried some Pertwee and I like Pertwee too. And then one day they ordered and brought home tomb of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And I met Patrick Troughton and I just fell in love. Um, <laughs> Best Doctor Who era ever. I just love Trout and love me some too. So who who is your doctor? Trout. Trout. Totally Trout. Mm-hmm. But Baker is right. <laughs> Baker has is my nostalgia doctor mm-hmm. because he's the one I remember from when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. So that there's there's little nostalgic notes that he can hit that nobody else can hit, mm-hmm. but. For favorite Doctor, Troughton all the way. I just think he's amazing. And uh, Troughton and Jamie and Zoe is my all-time favorite TARDIS team. Mm-hmm. Yep, they work well well together, totally. Uh, I'm actually in well, the middle of... I'm sorry. They Go. just... They, um, more than anybody else, I think, they all seem to be having fun. Mm-hmm. You get the impression that if things hadn't gone wrong, they would still be doing it. Because they all... There's nothing about it that any of them hate, you know, because other companions, you know, they get stressed at times. They'd cry at times. They'd, there'd be bad things that happened that mm-hmm. made them stop liking it as much. Mm-hmm. And you just never got that impression with Jamie and Zoe. No, they, they rolled the punch pretty well and they, they all had a really good chemistry. And I did like the fact that Zoe was smart and she often considered herself smarter than the doctor. Um, like the scene in the Crotons yes. with the learning machines and so on. And uh, it, I do miss that. I actually wish they would have a companion from the future. That, that would be fun. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, rewatching. I shouldn't even say rewatching, watching the recons of a lot of the Trouton yes. stuff right now. And yeah. I've, I've read a lot of them as books or I'd listened to them, but this is my first real exposure to some of these. Re- some, some of them I know, some of them I don't. So uh, I'm completing my giant Doctor Who marathon of the last year. And I just finished the Hartnell recons recently. And now I'm, I'm I'm plowing through Troughton and it's cool because it's like discovering new Troughton, you know, yeah. that you're not really familiar with just like, Oh, the, and some of the, some of the burned Troughtons are just brilliant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And some there's some, there's really some great good. moments with him. Those, uh, those two they found last year were a godsend. Those were fantastic. So, yes. Mm-hmm. So excited. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to admit, 
I, I like my monsters ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I have a mad passion for the macro terror. Yeah. Just, it's just such a wonderfully ridiculous. I love that. I love that serial so much. I, I, yeah, it's a good nobody one. Nobody else does. <laughs> what really? No, I, I I mean, I don't know anybody who hates it. I mean, it's it is a little weird. You have giant yeah. crabs running a, a weird colony kind of prisoner style, but it's uh it was pretty neat. I was trying to figure out what the deal was with the macro too because they don't really explain it, do they? Where like how no. they took over the colony and what like what was their general aim? They were using humans to get them the gas. Was that it or Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, well, th they were definitely cooler in that one than Gridlock. Yes, definitely. Way cooler. Mm -hmm. And and just that one little clip that they've saved of it menacing her with his mm -hmm. great glowy eyes and his silly cloth. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Ah, just pure delight. I know. If you want your monsters cheesy, you can't beat the Macro Terror. No. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Actually, the, the one I just finished was the Faceless Ones, and I really like that one. That is a good one. Mm -hmm. I, well, I just, I love Pauline Collins. Anyway. Oh, She's yeah. Just... It's clear that uh, she and Jamie got along very well. And I was like, yeah. ah, they didn't didn't let her keep, keep going. That's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Yeah. Um, I usually ask what your first costume is, uh, but you didn't do Halloween. <laughs> and you pretty much already answered that question. Well, so... my first costume, if we must be accurate, was the letter K. Okay. Um, in my in my kindergarten finale program, I was ah, the letter K. Okay, so I was K keeping kangaroos, but we didn't have twenty six kids in the class, so I had to fling the kangaroo down really fast, run to the end, grab a phone, and be why yakety yakking. Interesting. All right. Well, I was uh, double learning banking. quick costume changes even then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a skill that comes in very handy at conventions. Um, <laughs> how many how many costumes do you say now you bring to a convention? Oh gosh, um, say three a day. Three a day. Usually, I only end up wearing two. Uh huh. Sometimes three. Uh huh. But then I pack spare ones in case I forget a piece. Mm -hmm. Then I'll have mm -hmm. a spare. Uh huh. And then there's ones like I want to pack a comfy costume in case I'm not in the mood to put on the big laborious costume. Uh -huh. Obviously, I drive to these things, not right. fly. Right. Um. So yeah, three a day is pretty standard. Wow. Uh, I, I'm getting lazy. I'm I do like one a day, maybe two. I thought the concept of midday change I don't like anymore. It takes me off the yeah. floor. It grinds your day to a halt. It's just, and especially if you're not right on, like, you know, you're right there with the hotel. And that's kind of doable. But with, like, Comic-Con, where you got to go all the way back to the room, or you got to figure out where the, where the bathroom is to change. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, and I have to admit, I'm flagging more and more these days. Like, And when I go to TimeGate, for instance, right. it's more of a lobby con. Mm -hmm. I tend to only do, like, two changes there and then spend a lot of the time in jeans and t-shirts because it's all just hanging out with people instead of the costumes <laughs> right 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 that's cool um so uh, all right so if trotton is your doctor do you but yet i'm thinking of the costumes that you've done i wouldn't say you're predominantly hitting the trotton era in your in your costumes it, it, so you're just going for whatever is appealing to you for for different characters whatever just i vividly fell in love with as as a kid and as a teen, mm -hmm. yep, um, yeah. I think I only have one Trouton era, and that's the world's tallest Zoe. <laughs> the world's um, tallest Zoe. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm five nine for uh -huh. Pete's sake, uh -huh. and the boots I found for it have like a two inch heel. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I'm the world's tallest Zoe in that thing. Um, and that's entirely a fault of finding the fabric. Um, I was looking for actually fabric for my Eldrag costume, and I happened across this stuff called sequin seaweed. And it's totally inaccurate, but it looks right. Mm-hmm. It's got such a great sparkle to it, mm-hmm. and I just I couldn't not use it mm-hmm. and not do Zoe. So mm-hmm. I had to do that just because I found the fabric. All right. But yeah, that's the only uh, Troughton era costume I No, no, I tell a lie. I did Polly. I did Polly from um, Moonbase. Nice. Nobody got it. Nobody. Absolutely nobody got Polly from Moonbase, which I can't really blame them. It's only a black shirt and black pants and lots of blonde hair, but. Yeah. <sighs> and it's a partly missing cereal. Yeah. That was mostly down to. I have, I have characters that I love that nobody ever does. Mm-hmm. And I just end up having to do them just because I love them so much I want them to get represented. Right. And that was Polly. Mm-hmm. That was Polly right there. So mm-hmm. that's another reason I do Liz Shaw. Wow, um, that Liz Shaw was fantastic. Yeah. Um <laughs> no, really. It's just that was uh, if you could distill the early seventies into a look, that's one of them. Uh is that not the world's ugliest dress? It's awful. But it, it makes an impression. I don't know what to say. It, it does. Yeah. And uh, and people recognize it. It's it's not subtle. People people look at that horrible sort of baby puke brown and mm-hmm. cream bubbles and say, Hello, Liz Shaw. So Liz Shaw. Oh, did she only wear that in Spearhead? Uh I think so, yeah. Uh-huh. Only in Spearhead. Did you um did you ever look at the Blu-ray and compare? I I don't think you had it yet by the time you did it, but No, no. I don't. I there's a certain point where once I've done a costume, I don't want to see any more, mm-hmm. you know, more detailed photos because then you'll find out exactly where you went really, really wrong. Mm. Well, it's <laughs> it, it's worth looking at. I, I've been studying the uh, Pertwee in that, uh, and it's clear as day. I mean, people still debate this, but it's clear as day that his velvet jacket is midnight blue and not black. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the LVHS, right. it looks black. But looking at that Blu-ray, right. it's just like, nope, that's blue. And every time people ask me, I'm like, just look at the Blu-ray. And if you don't have the Blu-ray, find a screen grab or something. Because seriously, that's it, there's no more debate. And that's the, the, yeah, the way the shadows fall. I always thought it was blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so um, let's let's step back from Liz Shaw. What what was your <laughs> what was your first major Doctor Who costume? And I assume this was also for DragonCon, or was it for TimeGate? Um, what was my first Doctor Who costume? I did a Femme Four one year, mm-hmm. um, uh, for the parade. Um, that was the first year I marched in the parade. I was no, no, it was the second year. Sorry, the first year was my um, Elf Archer. So yeah, the second year I marched in the parade. Um, I did a Femme Four just because I wanted to march with the Doctor Who group, and I didn't have any Doctor Who costumes. Mm-hmm. So I did a Femme um. Season 18, four. Nice. And I hadn't finished my scarf, so as I walked in the parade, I was knitting my scarf. That was pretty entertaining. That's, that's cute. You could just yeah. say you're Castor Valva for, you know, you're, un, you're, you're undoing the damage that Peter Davison did. Um, but well, uh, I think the actual first real serious replica of Doctor Who costume, I think it was Happiness Patrol. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what, what did you do for that gun again? Was it like a Nerf gun or something? <laughs> that gun. Um, it's like two dollar store Nerf guns and a bird feeder and some little 
thing off of a hairdryer and I think a couple of bottles and it's all just bodged together. Um, the most disappointing thing about that gun is that I had a bubble gun hidden inside it. Mm-hmm. And at the last moment, it turned out not to work. Oh. I was going to shoot bubbles in that parade. Yeah, it was yeah. going to be awesome. Oh, man. That's but, a bummer. Uh, that was a great parade costume because um, I printed up the stickers, like the Happiness Patrol put out, the smiley face stickers. Right. Mm-hmm printed up a bunch of those and so it was great to hand out in the parade it was like in character mm-hmm. treats woohoo <laughs> yeah I, I actually did that one i was um planning to do the mavellan that year and somebody said that they were going to do candy man mm-hmm. and so i said well if you're doing candy man i'm going to do happiness patrol um but i'm glad i did happiness patrol cuz that was my first um first real wig mm-hmm. cuz um I don't know if you know this about me, but I have five feet of hair. Wow. Um, no, I didn't know that. I have lots of hair. Mm-hmm. It goes down um, almost to my ankles, and the base of my braid is about as thick around as my wrist. So I, d- I honestly didn't think I could put it under wigs. Mm-hmm. There's so much of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so with the Jack Sparrow, I just his he's got so much lumps and layers to his costume that I literally just wore down my back. Mm-hmm underneath and didn't try putting it up under the wig but um so happiness patrol was the first time i tried putting it up under a wig um and what i actually that's actually two wigs wefted together a pink wig for the front and then a brighter pink wig for the back Mm -hmm. and that is literally just pulled over a bun of my hair so that that's hiding inside that giant ponytail that must be one so that was Mm -hmm. i i was really glad i did that costume because it let me learn that, yes, it was possible to put my hair under wigs if I planned it out. So, yeah, that was cool. Awesome. Uh, and I, I imagine that was a trip down 80s lane with the uh, the giant shoulder pads and the pastel look, right? Oh, so much fun. That, mm. that, that was, yeah, that was pretty much the first time I had ever gone out in public with that much leg showing. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's... Oh, uh, and those shoes. Mm-hmm. Best shoes. They're mm-hmm. Italian leather. Found them on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Pink Italian leather and so comfortable. I mean, they're four-inch heels, stilettos, so it still was glad to get out of them at the end of the parade, but still mm-hmm. really, really comfortable for what they are. Etsy. Good old Etsy. I always get a good big yeah. thumbs up to Etsy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Because the the next year when you did the Mavellan, that's when that was the start of the. Uh, we feel like we're sharing the same brain experience that <laughs> that you and uh, and Terry and, and I were all we were all like, oh, we want to do this. So and then, yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. It's so, like whenever you do something, I'm working on it, or if I do something, you're working on it, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So I I do really envy you your um your fabric sources out there. That you have, you know, I, I'm in Podunkville, nowhere, so I, it's mostly down to buying off the internet and hoping for the best, um, which yeah, works sometimes. Yeah, I know because it really helps to be able to to see something in person and handle it and see if it's really got the weight and the drape and the stretch that you need it to have. Um, and don't get me wrong, even though we have the LA Fabric District, which I, I understand for those in New York, it's not even as good as the New York Fabric District. But um, there are times you still can't find what you need. I know it took us a long time to find our Zoe fabric with the sparkles. or um, yeah. And we got purely lucky with the Mavellan uh, fabric. 
Uh, if, if I that... still can't believe you found that fabric. Mm-hmm. Mine, mine had the ridges, but it didn't have the quilting across. Mm-hmm. So the entire thing is hand quilted to elastic, Oof. which um, I, I literally was was finishing that at the convention. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, DragonCon had at that time like a three hour wait for your ticket, so I'm standing there in a three hour ticket line, hand quilting. Hand quilting as we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, good use of uh, wait in line time, definitely. Yeah. Knitting oh, yes. I, I, I have quite literally been sewing one costume while wearing another one and sewn the first costume to the second costume. Yes. That's, that's dedication. That's <laughs> big dedication right there. Uh, so uh, how how did the Mavellan uh, come like totally come together? It seems like that one was. I mean, it looked fantastic. I imagine it must have been. Was it? Wait, was it uncomfortable? Because I know that when Vicky and Terry no. were there, they always talk about that. Well, it, it depends on what you're comparing it to. You know, um, like I'm used to wearing like full scale elf armor. Mm-hmm. Compared to that, it's a really comfortable costume. Sure, um, sure. And also for Dragon Con, which is in August in Georgia mm-hmm. in 90 degree weather, mm-hmm. heck yeah, it's a comfy costume. It's a lot less layers and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, and of course, I, I actually have good shoes for mine. So they're comfy shoes. So that makes a huge difference. Yes. But, um, but yeah, the Movellan was my first Doctor Who bucket list costume. That was one of the ones I'd fallen in love with and mm-hmm. definitely wanted to do. Um, and yeah, it's it's but it's just a leotard and then the little jump jumper thing over it. And the only thing that's kind of uncomfortable is that thing around your neck, that silvery collar. Mm-hmm. That's kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But and um, and, and the wig, the wig I had to cannibalize two of those cheap Cleopatra wigs and mm-hmm. re-sew that. So and fun with making the uh, the gun, right? The plastic gun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that that was one thing that kind of kept me from doing it was because I was looking at that plastic gun and I know I can Dremel um, all kinds of solid materials, but Dremeling something see-through, uh, lucite or acrylic, had me scared. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, because I can Dremel in straight lines on lucite, but it's circles, it's stacked circles. Um, but then I realized that if I use stiff plastic for the for the pink up and down bits, then for the circles, which are clear... I could use a much thinner plastic because I'm totally, you know, fudging on accuracy as long as I can get it done. Um, <laughs> much thinner plastic and that I could cut with scissors. So the pink lucite bits are actually cut out of, it was back to school sale and they had pink lucite clipboards. Yeah. So, so that's what those are cut out of. Um, and then the stacked clear circles are, it was terrible. In the interest of costuming science, I had to go buy a cake with a clear lid and eat the cake <laughs> and then use the clear lid. <laughs> that was the excuse. Okay. All that right. was the excuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. And then, of course, um, I went online and found a light up LED wand to stick up the middle so that it actually lights up. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of flashy blinky if possible. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's amazing adding some blinking lights or some sound effects to a costume. It just makes everyone go, ooh. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Mavellan was a really good costume for Dragon Con because very few people knew who what it, knew what it was. Mm-hmm. 
but it's just such a striking costume. It's right. such a great design mm-hmm. that people loved it anyway. Yep. You know, all mm-hmm. kinds of people were asking my picture, having no idea what I was. Yeah. But um, it just went over really well. So it was yeah. a great one for the parade. When uh, when uh, my friend Mal did the K one robot for yeah. uh, San Diego Comic Con, um, it's amazing how about the same thing. Maybe twenty percent of the people got it. And I was with him as the doctor, partly to be a handler and partly to be a doctor with the robot. But there would be a number of times I'd be posing with him and people were waiting for me to move away so (laughs) they could just get the robot. And I have to sense that and go, okay, we are now at the part of the crowd who do not care about Doctor Who. They're just seeing giant robot. And I'm like, okay. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like even in my Weeping Angel, which that's a pretty popular character. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe half the people got Weeping Angel. I'd say 40% were like, ooh, stone statue. And 10% of the people thought I was from Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. What? The I have Eastwood no movie? idea, but I got that so often. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. I guess, I don't know. Okay. Um, well, it, you know, <laughs> it's it, you know what? I got mistaken for Ben Franklin when I was William Hartnell. So, you know, it takes all kinds. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but you know that's uh, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, maybe they thought that's that is the most accurate Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil statue ever, and they still gave you the uh, the award for that one. Uh, I've seen your uh, your tutorial and breakdown of how you put that together, which was pretty ingenious. I think the uh, the pantyhose option for making your arms <laughs> look like stone was really good. I'll I'll let you describe it for for the listeners at home. Oh, um, okay. So the Weeping Angel. It's um, most of the Weeping Angel costume is just uh, foam core board wings. And um, I, I, I actually, that's the one costume I've ever upgraded. My initial wig was um, out of yarn and my mask was just a mask from Walmart that I added on to. But I actually went back and did proper paper mache mask and um, paper mache mold on my head and then paper clay hair for it. So mm-hmm. that's what the face is. Um, and then the dress is just, people keep asking me for a pattern for the dress. And I'm like, there's no pattern. It's it's a tube. It's a tube. I, I stuck it on, it's got a hula hoop at one end, and then it goes into a yoke at the other end, and you put a belt around the middle, and that's all it is. I literally don't have a pattern for this, people. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, And then just painted to look like stone. Which, um, (laughs) one thing you don't have to worry about down there is here in North Carolina, we have the traditional um, pre-Dragon Con hurricane. Okay. So, that was was painted in my living room with dust sheets draped everywhere because I couldn't paint it outside because there was a hurricane going on. Interesting. So, yes. I I never heard of I never heard of this. Sorry, that's new to me. No, really? Mm -hmm. No. Oh, gosh, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. It's the worst. Uh, I... There's a hurricane almost every year at Dragon Con, and I kind of hope that it just waits until the con, because then it just messes up everybody's travel and doesn't mess up my costume. Oh, okay. The worst, absolute worst year was when I was doing K9, because I had to use automotive spray paints, and I might be slightly crazy, but I'm not crazy enough to use automotive spray paints in the house. Right. However, I am crazy enough to use them in the eye of the hurricane. Uh-huh. Yeah. Watch mm-hmm. the Doppler. Watch the Doppler. Okay. I have hurricane. Run out. Spray, 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 spray. <laughs> Grab dog. 
run back in. And of course, you know, it says, do not use in high humidity conditions. <laughs> like, right, right. Sorry, I've got a con. <laughs> so, um, so if you, if you were, if you were killed in a hurricane and you're at the pearly gates, you have to explain like <laughs> that you were desperate to you paint. You don't understand. <laughs> My robot dog needed a coat of paint. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was digressing from um, the Weeping Angel. Yeah, yes. that I hate doing makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the biggest pain. Um, mm-hmm. Just doing so many sixties companions, putting on the false eyelashes mm-hmm. can set me back a good half hour on a bad day. Sure. Um, so yeah, with the Weeping Angel, I did not even want to try to do makeup all up and down my arms. It, you know, time. And just annoyance factor and having to seal it and hope it didn't rub off. And it always does rub off on your hands. And so, you know, I thought about gloves and I actually bought a pair of stretch gloves online and mm-hmm. painted them gray. And they looked horrible. They looked awful. It looked like painted gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even remember why I thought about it. But I just tried pulling some tights over my hand and cut fingers into it and, and sewed it up. And the tights cling so nice and, and tightly to your hand. That it really does. Uh, now I've seen a lot of people doing it um, for all kinds of costumes where you need to have painted arms and legs. Um, people are, are using the tights a lot. So that's been great. Um, one of the big things that really helps is to put fake fingernails on it. And that yes. really makes it pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I reused that trick when I did Eldred. So it's a handy thing. Uh, wh- but uh, that was a that was a really good really good costume and some of my best costume stories are associated with that weeping angel costume right right i think i remember hearing about some um so uh, uh, we can stop and ask uh what has been your best experience in costume in or out of a convention oh gosh um well you know with the weeping angel obviously there's a picture circulating online of me strangling jewel state in it um mm-hmm. I honestly had no idea that was her at the time. You can't see in that costume. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got fabric over the eye holes. Mm-hmm. So you can see enough to not kill yourself. Mm-hmm. But you can't see enough to, for instance, recognize friends or random celebrities. Right, um, right. But okay, that costume was just so much fun to wear because people were so scared of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one poor little, probably about 10-year-old girl who had to be dragged out of the hotel kicking and screaming because she would not go past me. I'm, I'm, you know, pulling off my mask saying, look, it's just a human. She would not go past me, poor girl. Mm. Um, so towards the end of the night that I was wearing it, it was, oh gosh, late at night. It was probably around two in the morning or so. I'd found the perfect corridor to lurk in. Nice. Mm-hmm. Just enough traffic that there was almost always somebody in the corridor, but not enough that I couldn't repose between people. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd pose there weeping. And then when I'd hear, hear footsteps come by, I'd suddenly jump, you know, do scary face at people. Mm-hmm. So I heard um, a group of people coming by and, you know, jumped out, did scary face. And the woman who was at the head of the group shrieked and <laughs> skittered back and clutched the other guy. And she was just laughing and shrieking hysterically and just thought it was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so I've just got this vague impression of a very pretty, slightly drunk lady. Um, and 
she um, said, you know, pose with me, pose with me. Sure, I'll pose with you. Now pose like you're strangling me. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So I did. I you know, posed like I was strangling her. And she said, that's great. That's great. You're awesome. And then they went off. And yeah, a couple days later, I saw it on the internet. And that's when I realized who I'd strangled. Ah, yep. <laughs> yep. Well, it's, hey, it's, uh, I, I didn't know I passed David Tennant as a Cyberman or that John Barrowman posed with me as a Cyberman until somebody told me. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, someone could announce this when it's happening, right? But, uh, yeah. In I, those costumes, you might almost as well, just as well be in another room while it's happening, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand. Totally. Uh, so, conversely, what what has been a costume mishap or, I hate to say worst experience, because I, I, I know that I don't want to bring up, like, bad trauma, but, you know, um, uh, the, the other end of the scale, basically. Uh, hang on. Let me tell you my one absolute best convention story for that sure, for sure. the weeping angel costume. go for it um because it's the sort of thing you dream of being able to get the chance to do and we got the chance to do it mm-hmm. i rewore that costume a couple years later um with two other girls that i met who also did weeping angels mm-hmm. and so we were posing for a lot of pictures in the hyatt um it was night so it was non-stop photography and we got worn out and hot and we just went over to the side into a side room where there's some chairs and sat down and we're just drinking water had our masks off you know had our wings off and we're just drinking water and cooling down and people would see us sitting there and they'd come up to us and say hey can I get a photo and we'd say you know we're taking a break I'm sorry try to catch us later and so they'd go off all disgruntled mm-hmm. and this kept happening and finally, one person came up and said, hey, hey, can you come with me and take a photo? And we said, wait, we're really sorry. We're, we're all tired and, and we can't right now. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. It's for a really good reason. <laughs> we're like, what? He said, my friend's over there and he's sound asleep. <laughs> and we just looked at each other with these evil looks and said, okay. That is a good reason. Mm-hmm. So um, we followed the guy, and they just had just standard chairs set up sort of in rows. Mm-hmm. And there's his friend, sound asleep. Mm-hmm. He's got his arms spread out along the backs of the chairs. Mm-hmm. His head's back. He's mm-hmm. dead to the world and snoring. Mm-hmm. So all three of us arrange ourselves right in his face. Mm-hmm. Full on scary mode. Right. Scary faces, creepy hands. And then his friend taps him on his shoulder and he wakes up and there's just a moment where he doesn't react. And then he jumps so hard, he knocks over his own chair and two of the chairs behind him, goes over in a heap on the floor. It was the best thing ever. And then, of course, three weeping angels are peeling off their masks and sort of rolling on the floor with hysterical laughter. It was awesome. Oh, man. Yeah sort of thing you always hope you'll have a chance to do and right. don't really think it'll happen um okay worst costume experience uh well there was the costume that tried to kill me what? which wasn't really um i combined wings from one costume and a dress from another costume to make a sort of a new costume one year because i was bored mm-hmm. and that was when i discovered you can wear wings or you can wear a four floor length dress but not both mm-hmm. um the wings in question are my steampunk fairy wings that are just loops and loops and loops of wire. Um, I, I probably best described by the girl who came up to me and said, I just want to dip you in 
bubble solution and use you as a wand. <laughs> so that's kind of the impression they give. Mm -hmm. um, and so those in a floor-length dress. Well, it turns out that when you're going up an escalator and you're focusing on your dress, one of the wings will loop around the handle at the bottom of the escalator. Oh. And next thing you know, <laughs> yes. Yes, it was a really scary moment there where all of a sudden I'm getting yanked back and it's Dragon Con, so it's packed solid, so people are piling in behind me, and mm -hmm. I can't move. And fortunately, there was a guy going up the stairs next to it that was really alert, and he saw what was happening, and he reached out and he unhooked me. So mm -hmm. that was um, that was scary. And then half an hour later, in that exact same costume, I fell down the stairs of death. The stairs of death? Uh, the Hyatt Stairs of Death. Uh, they are, it's two flights of cement stairs set at, it, it's almost a negative angle, uh -huh. extremely steep, and mm -hmm. it's tilted downwards. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've seen other people fall on it, and mm -hmm. yeah, my feet just went out from under me halfway up, and I thought, okay, I'll catch the rail on the next step, and I didn't. And I didn't on the next step. And then I realized I was going to just be going down all the way to the bottom. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, I got the most gorgeous bruise on my hip from that. I was really lucky to only have that. I mean, I could have been seriously injured. Sure, that, sure. But, um, wow. Is that of course, the... my first thought is, thank goodness I've worn all of the all of the costumes that require bare legs. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, we wonder where our priorities are in life. Uh, so, did the dress cause you to fall, or you just happened to fall? Yeah, it was, I was holding the dress up with one hand, and from the previous incident, I was worried about my wings, so I was guiding my wings with the other hand, mm -hmm. so I wasn't holding onto the stair rail, and so when my feet went, there just wasn't anything to grab onto. So. Right. Yeah, so I really learned my lesson with that, and I do not do wings and long skirts at the same time, but... um. And then, of course, I for the other end of bad costuming experiences, I have a know your venue story. Mm, yes, oh, yes, always good yes. to know the venue, right? Go for it. Um, well, so I'd just gotten into costuming, and I knew that people like the Five O First did uh, charity mm -hmm. events, and I thought that sounds really cool. I'd love to do a charity event. Um, and one of the local agencies was having a themed program that was a fantasy theme. And, um, so I, I went to the lady who was running it and I said, Hey, Hey, I would love to, you know, donate some of my time to this. Um, cause I know that they have costume characters come out for these events and, you know, like pose for photos and stuff. And I said, I would love to be able to help. Um, I have a set of armor, um, my Helmseep elf armor. I have this elf armor that is a really detailed costume. Would you like me to come to your event? She said, sure, sure. I'd love you to come to my event. Mm -hmm. So I show up to the event, which is um, at a park. And I, so I'm in full-scale elf armor, um, layers and layers of scale mail and armor and velvet and silk, and, you know, helmet, and boots, and I've got arrows strapped to my back. Get out of the car, walk over to where the lady is. I say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm ready to help. She looks at me, she says, that's great, I'm so glad you're here. 
we've put you in charge of the balloon toss. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um. So, and and I couldn't. There was no graceful way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um. I couldn't just say, "Uh, that's not what I signed up for. I'm leaving." I had to just go ahead and go with it. And so the balloon in question was a ginormous balloon that all the children would toss between them. And so I put in an hour in full-scale elf armor, running back and forth to the small children and keeping them from killing themselves. Wow. And I just remember one small child came up to me and, you know, pulled on my skirt and said, Miss, why are you dressed like that? And I looked (laughs) down at him and said, I honestly don't know. <laughs> but the worst of it was, you know, I put in my hour and I'm like, okay, I've done enough to look like a willing person. I'm leaving now. I'm yeah. hot. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. I am just so disgusted with this whole thing. Mm. So I, here I am, sad, bedraggled elf, staggering back to her car. And I look over and there's the Chick-fil-A cow. And They've got, he's got three handlers and cold drinks and a place in the shade and they're <laughs> posing him with kids. I'm sitting there going, I'm outranked by the Chick-fil-A cow. <laughs> I, I like good, I like my Chick-fil-A. I had no idea there was a Chick-fil-A cow mascot that oh, had taken yes, affairs. Yeah. So that's amazing. cow mascot and he totally outranked me. Wow. So, yes. There, there you are. Know your venue know or your you venue. might get in charge of a balloon toss. Indeed. Wow. Uh, now, I, I was going to ask, outside of Tynegate and DragonCon, uh, what, what else do you attend? Are there any other conventions or events that you do, or is it... Those are really my only two cons. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried a new con this year, and honestly, it was a real dud, so I probably... I will definitely not be going back, and I won't even bother mentioning the name of it here, because that would just be rude. Okay. Um, and there's a, there's one a local one a new one that started last year that I'm going to try here this year but but yeah mostly it's just Dragon Con and Timegate mm-hmm. um, and I haven't even been to Dragon Con in a couple of years because it's so big now it's I love Dragon Con but it is so big and just the thought of having to the, do the fight for the hotel rooms mm. and. It's, it's so expensive now. So it's just, I, I, now, granted, I haven't tried to go to Dragon Con, but like it, it does sound like it's following the same track as San Diego Comic Con, where, as you say, yeah, the ticket prices are going up. It's a mad dash for those tickets; they sell out in minutes. And I imagine it's the same for the hotel rooms. Um, yeah, and and you have to realize con rates something like two hundred dollars a night. Um, last time I went, and mm-hmm. that was three or four years ago. And yeah, they don't cap the admission tickets you can have as many tickets as you want for admission but the hotel rooms sell out so fast so it's okay but i imagine there are people that must stay at a hotel that's not one of the was it five hotels that it's at right or yeah yeah but if you're if you're a costumer you really want to be at one of the uh local hotels and only the five host hotels have dc tv which is in my mind one of the best things about dragon con yeah Um, i heard about that that's awesome i love dc tv Mm mm-hmm um, for anyone who hasn't ever been to Dragon Con, it's a dedicated uh, TV channel that plays nothing but Dragon Con programming the whole time. And so you can use it to watch panels and um, they do all kinds of you know funny little sketches and the masquerade. And it's a costumer's best friend because when you're in a room changing costumes, 
normally you'd be kind of out of the con experience mm -hmm. and you can just put that on and you're right there in the con. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love DCTV. So that's why I don't want to stay in a offsite hotel. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. One of these years I have to go. I know I've been meaning to connect with uh, Andy and the uh, Prideonian guys. Um, yeah. And the parade is a great, it's, it's a, it's a really neat experience to do that parade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what uh, describe the I mean uh my friend Scott was there uh last year and he had a great time. Uh but you described to me what it's like to be in the Dragon Con parade. Um well it it really depends on the weather because if it's hot that's mm -hmm. pretty much the only thing you can think about is how hot you are. Okay. Um, <laughs> especially if you're in Doctor Who costumes which are not designed for summer in Georgia. Uh, yeah. Um, but if it's um it's not, honestly, I don't think very many con-goers attend the parade because they can't get to the parade because it's packed solid with people from the surrounding community. It's a big draw for the local community these mm -hmm. days. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's getting more and more complex. More people are doing floats. There's marching bands in it, uh, geek marching bands. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just... It's it's a parade. It's it's like any other parade with Boy Scouts and stuff, except instead of Boy Scouts, you have, you know, Starfleet. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, it's it's just, but it's a really fun thing, and um, it's fun. It's a good way to get to meet other people who are into your same fandom and hang out for a while too, while you're waiting for it to get together. And then you have the wonderful bonding experience of all collapsing at the end of it with bottles of water and kicking your shoes off. So. <laughs> You know, sort of, I survived the Dragon Con Parade t-shirts sort of thing. Right, yeah. Uh, I've had a few people uh, say, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. You'd be great if you wore your Cybermen or your Vok robot. And I go, <laughs> from everything I've read, I'll probably die from dehydration <laughs> if I tried that. There is a guy who has worn a Cyberman in the parade. Um, mm -hmm. Two girls wore their weeping angels in the parade. And I just look at them and I think, you people are insane. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. But um you have to, you kind of have to pick your parade costume. Like I would never wear Liz Shaw in the parade. Um you try to go for something that's either very very recognizable um or just something that's bright and cheerful that like um the happiness patrol went over great in the parade. Mm -hmm. I mean, admittedly half the people were yelling gem, but it's, uh, oh, that's that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's that, that makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, but just the sheer pinkness of it goes over well. The Movellan went over well. Um, when I was um, uh, Romana from Father Armageddon Factor with K nine, K nine went over so well. Sure, sure. Kids loved K nine. Mm -hmm. I mean, admittedly, it was like, oh look, it's K nine mm -hmm. and Princess Leia. <laughs> okay. That was but, a really yeah, good so, Romana. Yeah, pick the right costume for the parade is is a good rule um and something cool will definitely make your life easier mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no, no that makes sense i uh i yeah uh for comic-con yeah i find you have to be aware of um is it a costume that you can tolerate being outdoors in because you have to know is this a day i'm going to be outdoors more often or not and or are you going to be even be in a in a big crowd where you're right. going to have a lot of body heat around you you know it's, right uh, it's all things you have to kind of keep in mind um uh, the first year I wore the Cybermen and I had to just walk into the convention center was an ordeal just because it was yeah. so hot outside. 
And then we had oh, to fight yeah. the crowds, and, da, 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 and I think some girl hugged me and my, popped half my tubes off because they were only held on in Velcro. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that's great about Dragon Con that I really like is that there are so many fandoms represented and so many people there that it doesn't matter what costume you wear, someone will recognize it. True. Um, True. I have, uh, I did one year Arthur Shappy from the, um, British comedy Cabin Pressure, mm-hmm. which is a radio comedy. Oh, okay. There, so uh, you're trying to cosplay somebody from radio, mm-hmm. a, a purely auditory medium, mm-hmm. and and it all depends on the props. So I'm walking along carrying for for prop reasons a giant Toblerone, mm-hmm. and I hear a shriek from two stories up. And next thing I know, there's a girl bouncing up in front and down in front of me saying, "You're Arthur! You're Arthur! That's awesome!" Because you know, so. It doesn't matter what you are, somebody's going to recognize it at Dragon Con. Right, right. It's really cool. Yeah, there's been a lot of costumes we'll think about, and then we go, where would you wear that? And we all go, Dragon Con, even though half of us don't <laughs> yes. go there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand that. It's, it sounds like you can yeah, go very... I, think it's I was just going to say, it sounds like you can go very obscure and get recognized some of the time, because... I did um, the jet car outfit from Buckaroo Banzai for um, the Star uh-huh. Trek convention back in August. And most people thought I was a ninja. Um, but there were about <laughs> 10 people that were very like, oh, man, all right, Buckaroo. And I thought, this this is a Dragon Con costume that I've worn to the wrong convention. But, you know, what, what are you going to do? And the ones who do get it, though, the ones who do get it are so excited they are. with the obscure costumes. They are. They are. Totally. Ah. <sighs> So, um, I want to ask you, since you do go uh, pretty far back, what is your thought on the term cosplay? Are you, are you behind it? <laughs> do you like to use it? Does it still feel weird to use it? Okay. Well, you know, starting back when, when I started, there was a really clear delineation between costumers and cosplayers. Mm-hmm. Um, the costumers tended to come from a historical background. They were very... Very much, they made the costumes they were wearing. They were big into the craft of the costuming, the the analysis, the research, etc. The cosplayers were more likely to have bought their costumes. They were big into acting out the characters. Um, so there was a really clear delineation when I started. So, so I used the term costuming for years because I considered myself costumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the lines really started getting blurred later on. Um, but I still just kept using the term costuming because I was used to it. Um, and then, and then Twitter came along with its 140 character limit. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that cosplay is two less characters than costuming. <laughs> so that is the price of, of my, uh, of my principle right there is, is two characters on Twitter. <laughs> so are, are we going to blame twitter for the extra rise in the term cosplay or is that just another nail in the coffin that's probably it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and no it's funny yeah it's uh the, i remember that term starting to get thrown around around i don't know oh four or something like that maybe oh three mm-hmm. and uh and i just went what wait wait, wait where'd that term what who came up with that term do i want to like that term can i not can i get away with not using that term and uh, no, you can't escape it now. It is what it is. It's like, ah, uh, all right. Well, I, I still, when I'm speaking to people outside fandom who don't understand it at all, I still use the term costuming because they have no idea what cosplay even is. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, inside inside the 
fandom. I just sort of use it interchangeably these days. Yeah, exactly. Interchangeable. Um, so what uh, of the, of the two then, uh, do you prefer TimeGate or DragonCon? Oh gosh, they are totally different creatures. Um, but well, you know, I've stopped, I've kind of stopped going to DragonCon. I, I want to get back to DragonCon. I do, but, um, but oh gosh, I love TimeGate. Um, I almost feel like I shouldn't talk about TimeGate because what if it goes all galley on me and starts getting a ticket max and the hotel selling out and suddenly I won't be able to get into it anymore. But um, TimeGate is just, I think it's kind of like what Galley used to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just, um, it's a, it's a lobby con. It's, it's big enough that there's something going on all the time and it's small enough that you see the same faces every year. And, you know, half the fun is just seeing the people that, you know, um, and it's it's a really well run convention. They do a really good good job running it. Um, so and um, of course it used to be it's called TimeGate because it used to be Doctor Who and Stargate. Yeah. And this year, this year they've dropped Stargate. Interesting. So uh huh. So they're switching the focus 100 percent to Doctor Who. Well, not 100 percent. It does have some um, just general sci fi tracks, and I, there's actually one track that's just nothing but Brit stuff. Right. So. Um, you know, you get all kinds of other British shows in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love Timegate. Um, it's just it's it's one where you just hang out with everybody all day uh, and just chat and and um and yet there's still there's a fair bit of costuming and people recognize the obscure costumes. Um, and it's got the best time su- uh, the best con suite ever. Uh, we're talking three hot meals a day. Wow. Okay. It is the most amazing con suite. Well, all right. Um, My hat's off to that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they're moving to a new hotel this year. So I don't know if the new hotel will let them have the con suite. I really hope they do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad about the new hotel because uh, the, o- the old hotel was pet friendly. So you were surrounded by dogs all the time. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. But yeah. Time great is just if if you like to you know if you like conventions in the general uh georgia area timegate is awesome if you're a doctor who fan okay but i (laughs) I understand that it is more of a hangout con that they only have like what like two main guests and then the rest of it's more like fan tracks or something like that or yeah it's mostly Mm -hmm. fan tracks um they usually have yeah like they've usually had like two doctor who guests you know like an actor and then somebody from behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. And then they'd have a couple of Stargate guests. So maybe we'll have four Doctor Who guests this year. Who knows? Um, but, yeah. It, 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 it's very much a smaller con, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, first year I went, I think, was 400 people. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you, if you want a small con to contrast with your Dragon Con experience, it's a good one. Fair point. Yeah, I uh, I do think it's interesting that, uh, you know, you talk about how Dragon Con's getting so big, Comic Con's getting so big, Gallifrey's now getting so big, even though the captive, yeah. all it means is that it sells out quicker. Um, it's uh, it, it makes me wonder, when, when do you think this is going to stop? When do you think we're finally going to crash the beach and we'll see a receding here? I don't know. I, I'm kind of ready for it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in a way, it's brilliant that everyone's so into this it's so popular you don't have to hide your geekdom anymore so to speak but on the other hand it's almost like this party got too big 
Yeah, yeah. The, it's it's like you want the constant infusion of new blood because that keeps things lively. But at the same time, it's like there's so many kids you can't see your lawn anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But at the same time, size is one of the things that makes Dragon Con what it is. Um, Dragon Con is not like any other convention experience. It is like Planet Con. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it t- literally takes over downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go anywhere in downtown Atlanta without seeing people from the con. Mm-hmm. It's a completely immersive experience, and it's a nonstop party, which, I mean, I get the impression that... There's lots of fans at, at a Comic-Con, but it doesn't have that all-night, never-stop-party-in-the-same-area thing. Um, you know, like you have to go outside the convention to party, because um, it shuts down at night. Yeah, no, that's true. The convention itself shuts down, but there is still a lot going on in the gas lamp, and there's still lots of hotel lobby things going on, and people yeah. have room parties and so on. I'm, I mean, I, I, partly it's because of our crowd and the fact we're a little older now and the fact that our costumes suck up so much energy. Uh, but yes. yeah, I find that after we hang out for a bit and we have a meal, uh, we're ready to crash. We're lucky to spend an hour in like a jacuzzi uh, or muster a half an hour to play something as crazy as Uno, and then we're, we're done. We, we, need to, we need to, you know, recharge. Uh, the the idea of staying up late and partying and then getting up and doing it all again within hours is just no, <laughs> I can't do it. Oh yeah, well mm-hmm. I'm I've never been a partier, but um I like I like to costume watch and people watch and yeah. Dragon Hunt's a place great mm-hmm. place for that. But but again, the last few years I can't even do that because that those hotel lobbies are literally terrifying. I have no idea how the fire marshal lets them get away with it because. Mm-hmm. If anything went wrong, it would be a disaster story across the headlines. It's so packed. It's mm-hmm. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I, I will try to certainly make it one of these days. I'm surprised you haven't tried to make it out to Gallifrey, actually, because that's... I want to. I desperately want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually thinking about trying for it for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I would like to. It would be nice to be able to um, not have to make a costume because i'd have all the costumes that i've used at this end that would Mm -hmm. be new over there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um and it just sounds like a really fun experience from what what you say it is it is definitely um uh and uh i know that like what is it wendy padbury will be here this year and i'm looking forward to her again that'll be fun uh, as long as well as Sophie Aldred and Caroline Ford, they, they always have a lot of really good classic guests as well as they've been doing good about the new guests too so should be fun. Should be fun. Um, so, of uh, of the costumes you have made, uh, what has been the most stressful or challenging? Oh gosh! Well, any of them are stressful when you're trying <laughs> to finish them at the last minute. Sure, um, sure. Have you have you ever beaten a deadline? Like, oh, I've got two weeks to kill now before the con. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, my elf armor. That mm-hmm. one I finished before the convention. Uh, I finished that one like a week before the convention. It was totally done. Which, what happened was I showed up at the convention and spent two days helping all my fellow elf armor people finish their costumes. So, nice. <laughs> still couldn't win. Nice. Um, but, uh, most challenging, I would say, a lot of the challenge is just thinking of the way to do the costume. And mm-hmm. that, like, Eldrad. Eldrad was my dream costume. Mm-hmm. From the moment I saw that on the screen as a kid, 
I just, I fell in love with that costume and I wanted to do it and I've wanted to do it forever, but it took years for me to reach a level of skill and um, to be able to think how to do it. I I toyed with so many ideas of how to do it. Like um, I was going (laughs) to, I had ideas of everything from like floor mats to, you know, cast crystals, go, you know, buying a bunch of crystals online, casting acrylic, all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. then finally one day I just said, what the heck, let's see what I can do with fun foam. I love fun foam. It's my medium of choice. And and it actually worked. I still can't believe it worked. Um, and yeah, so so a lot of it is just conceptually working it out inside your head. Um, but yeah, I, that is why Eldride got put off so long was because it was such a challenging costume. I know Vicky had found some, uh, yeah, exactly as you described. They were like a, like a funky plastic pebble floor mat or something. Yeah. And she was going to cut yeah. those up. And then um, I believe when she saw yours, it kind of put her into a, ah, someone's already done it. <laughs> it it's now, I think, on her <laughs> oh, back burner. Um, I know she'll eventually me, get back to it. I know that feeling. She'll, she will get back I, to I, it. But. I mean, one of my other bucket list costumes was a robot of death, but now I've seen so many of them well done. It's just like, ah, you know, it kind of takes some of the pressure off because mm-hmm. somebody else has done it really well. And mm-hmm. like, okay, it got represented. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know how that goes. But basically, yeah, as I recall, it, it, so is your costume just, I mean, it's hard to simplify it in these terms, but is it basically just fun foam bits on top of a unitard? That is exactly what it is. Um, it, it's once. I worked out how to do it. It actually wasn't that difficult. It was just incredibly, incredibly tedious because we're talking thousands and thousands of in individual tiny hand cut foam crystals. Um, and I still need to actually cut more and put more on it because it doesn't have enough. I ran out. Um, <laughs> and, and, and um, uh, the, one of the challenges to that one was I did have to make a full body duct tape double of myself, which is this. So I have a creepy silver, silver double of me in the attic. Um, mm-hmm. Her head falls off periodically and I stick it back on. Um, but I needed that to be able to keep the costume out to the right proportions while I stuck all the crystals on and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the same costume where I discovered that if you put on a snakeskin print spandex bodysuit and have your sister spray paint you in it, when you pull off the spandex bodysuit, you have this lovely snakeskin scale pattern all over your entire body. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. Interesting. Because of the way the fabric breathes? or uh, Yes. Because there's actually little, um, the fabric is thinner between the scales. Mm-hmm. And it went through. And, ah. Yeah. So. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Yep, and then uh, and that one I was so running out of time on that one too. It, it took so much more time than I expected, and um, and so uh, yeah, I was there at a friend's house the night before the con, hot gluing crystals onto it while I was wearing it, and um, I weathered it in the hotel room bathroom. <laughs> wow, uh, you, like airbrushing? What do you mean? Um, uh, no, uh, um. Acrylic paint and rub and buff. Those are my kind of go-to. And it, it really needs more work with rub and buff. I want to use some of the color rub and buff to give it that oil slick effect that you kind of see on the screen. But mm-hmm. I just haven't enough, had enough energy to revisit it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looked terrific. That was, uh, yeah, El- Eldred must live. It, it looked pretty awesome. The, yeah, that's uh, another one of those that 
nobody, you know, most of the time when you wear it, nobody knows what it is, but mm-hmm. they just love it anyway because it's such a great costume design. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Now that the seventies costume designers and Doctor Who knew what they were doing, you know, they they came they up did. with some great great designs. Yeah, my um most my most expensive costume so far has been um Romana's Shada costume. Which, you know, talk about do- obscure Doctor Who costumes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, <laughs> the serial wasn't even broadcast. Yeah. But I I loved that costume and that one that one turned out to be the most expensive just from like sheer amount of fabric involved skirt has like 10 yards of fabric in it and and then i had to use heirloom quality fabric for the for the um blouse and there's um shell beads and all kinds of stuff that just you know it's got a genuine edwardian lace collar in it and it just that one just added up and added up so that was my most expensive one but um yeah i really loved that one did you do any uh, vintage pattern research on that, or did you just whip that up again on the fly? I I had to freeform that one, yeah. Because um, most of the ones where I actually use vintage patterns are actually the 60s companions. Mm-hmm. Um, for the historic stuff, I tend to drape it more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I have done some nice vintage patterns for the 60s companions. Ah, gotta love the vintage patterns. Um, oh yes, well, half of a '60s companion is trying to find eyelashes that are big enough. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to go subtle. <laughs> and, it's like when I wear Emma Peel, I don't feel like Emma Peel until I put those eyelashes on and, and the eyeliner. Yeah, em- Emma Peel, boy. Uh, when we did ours, which uh, I know we did the the pink and blue, and it's there's something about yes. doing the season love five. It. Yeah, the season five. Uh, uh, Emma Peeler look. Uh, we keep going back and looking at the classic black leather from season four, and it's like I, I want to do that. Not me, literally wearing it, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you look so cute. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, but working with leather and making it look right, we're just like oh, we're like terrified. That's why we went for the the uh, the stretch look, and even finding the right kind of material was tricky. I'm sure you ran into that where it's got to have stretch, but you, you, it's not spandex. It's like, uh, what was it called? They actually used, um, uh, crimpling. I want to say, I, I can't, yeah. mm-hmm. which is something yeah. they don't even really make anymore. And the one I picked, which is, um, the one from, um, gosh. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I don't remember which episode. I can't remember the name of the episode right now. Um, it's the, it's the ridiculous one where it's the um, comic book bird hero. The, the Winged Avenger. The Winged Avenger, that's it. Mm-hmm. I remember that it was absolutely horrible finding reference shots of that because if you search just Avengers, all you get is of the other Avengers. Yeah. And if you searched Winged Avenger Avengers, it doesn't help you any. There's too many Avengers going on. Yeah. Um, uh, but, and um, she, only really that one, she only wears that in like sorry. two scenes, right? Yeah, 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 she does, and mm-hmm. and I, but I just loved that particular how the panels were laid out on that one and the color scheme and. Um, oh yeah, it's a great, it's a great suit. It was our second choice. I think the reason we aired yeah. from it is because it was a little less iconic, and if you want to go crazy, you got to have that waffle pattern in the. Uh, that was the worst. Yeah. That was the worst. I ended up having to just set or settle for it being stretched and textured. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, mine does have a sort of a diamond texture to it. What mine's actually made out of um, is slip covers. 
Slip covers? <laughs> Slip covers um, from SureFit. Mm-hmm. Yep, I had to buy three gold and two burgundy dining room chair size slip covers and let me tell you if you are looking for textured stretch fabric that is awesome stuff it has so much stretch to it Mm -hmm. and it's got great texture and it's so that emma peeler is the most comfortable costume i own it's the comfiest thing Mm -hmm. ever i love that thing it's like pajamas okay uh yeah so. interesting i i i did wonder as soon as i saw it i was i was immediately going like i wonder if she got the waffle pattern i couldn't tell in the photos so um yeah the only waffle stuff i could find i could find stuff that had the right texture but it wasn't stretch right right or it wasn't the right you color mm-hmm. so i you know it, it's all a matter of compromise in the end and you just yeah. have to go Okay, this mm-hmm. has some texture going on, and it's kind of in the right color scheme, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'll just go with it. Right, right. I know we spent. And sometimes the right stuff shows up later. That too, and if you're if you're willing, you you you, you buy it for later, thinking upgrade, or you or you make that choice saying, nope, I made my deal, I'm done, walking yes. away. Uh, I know it took us uh, several weeks just to find the right uh, zipper uh, pull with the the round. Yeah. Zipper pulls, because those aren't exactly common either. You, you wonder, like, how common was this even in the 60s? You know, like, yes. <laughs> was this something you'd go to JCPenney and get in 1965? Or was this just, uh, you know, the fact it was England and it was a TV show? But uh, Oh, trust me, I was really wondering that with um, Liz Shaw, because mm-hmm. it's like, who wore, you know, vinyl bubble panels? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. Where did where what store did they pull that from? Or did the designers just go? We got this weird fabric left over. Yeah, let's use that. Throw it on the dress. It'll be great. Um, yeah. What what did you uh, source that from? Was it like placemats or something? Um, uh, it's okay. See, that's another example of my totally going with totally the wrong fabric. If it gives the right read, mm-hmm. um, mine is not vinyl at all. It's um, minky fun fur. Oh, right. It's fur. Mm-hmm. Yep, but it's got the right, it's the exact right color, and it's got the bubble texture, mm-hmm. and it's sufficiently weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, it's fur, not vinyl, but both of those are really weird things to put in dresses, so mm-hmm. it, it it's sufficiently weird that it works, mm-hmm. so... It's yeah. the only thing I'd ever seen that did work, so I went for it. Right, right. Sometimes you just see it, and you're like, well, it's not technically right, but it's got the read, so jump on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, been there. Now, now, when you're doing uh, a 60s companion, do you ever use your own hair for the hairstyle, or are you always going with a wig? Uh, for Liz Shaw, actually, um, in, in that dress, I do use my own hair, because she's got that scrape back in the bun. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can do a bun. Mm-hmm. Boy, can I do a bun. Mm-hmm. Um, but 60s companions are great, because they've got so much bouffant going on, mm-hmm. that I just, I don't. I don't bouffant the wig at all. I just put my hair where the bouffant needs to be mm-hmm. and then have the flat wig over it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it works. Um, yes. So, I mean, like, I, you know, there's, um, there's Zoe in that little short bob, but my hair's being the bouffant on the top of the wig. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the companions, um, you know, the characters I pick is figuring out where to hide my hair. That's that's a big consideration for me. Um, like, so, like Eldrad was perfect because she's got that funny head, that weird hat. Like, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. where my hair is going. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst is uh, Shada. 
because there is nowhere to put my hair under that wig mm -hmm. with um, Romana's really flat blonde hair. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's actually down my back and wrapped around my waist. Wow. Wow. Because the blouse is blousy enough that it hides it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, when you don't have a personal TARDIS purse to stick it in where it can be dimensionally transcendental, what else are you going to do, right? Um, oh, yeah. Wow. I, I did, I did um, speaking of 60s fashion, I love 60s box purses, mm -hmm. the, the little hard wooden box purses, and I made a TARDIS, I mean, a canine box mm -hmm. purse Nice to go with, to go with my Femme 4 costume, mm -hmm. and I discovered that that is the best way to have guys come up into you and say, Wow, I love your purse. <laughs> it's like, I never heard that many guys say that before that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what it, hey, if that's what it takes. Um, interesting. Uh, your, your season 18 Femme 4, at least the version I saw online, was, was really cool. I love the, uh, it, it was a very interesting choice uh, to, to, of, of what you did to kind of feminize it. Not that you went, like, complete. It, okay, because there's the people that will do... Like, I'm a girl, but I'm literally just wearing this doctor's costume. And then there's right. the people that, okay, I'm doing this, but now I'm interpreting it to a feminized version of what that costume would be. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was just, it was just some really cool choices you made with that. With that one. And that and the, the photo shoot made it look like it was taken, like, during the, uh, maybe not the leisure hive. I'm thinking probably, like, State of Decay <laughs> or something. You know, because you were, like, in a nice forest or something. You were around trees. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's kind of where they were running around from the... The great vampire. Um, what, what went into that? What was your thinking behind that? Uh, that's the that's the oak tree in my backyard. Oh well, okay. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, that, that if you ever follow my costumes, you will see that oak tree a lot because mm -hmm. we have this one enormous oak in our backyard, and it makes a great backdrop. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I of the places in my backyard, I did like that one better as a good backshot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for the costume. Um, a lot of it was honestly um, pretty much all of that except for the skirt came right. out of my everyday wardrobe because um, I wear a lot of weird clothes. Um, so it's amazing what I can just pull out of my wardrobe and costume uh, closet cosplay with. Um, and so most of that came out of my wardrobe except for the skirt. And um, I'd, I've actually done like three different versions of season 18. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first one I wore in the parade was a lot more frilly and it had a long skirt. Um I've got some pants that I wear with it sometimes, and I've done a steampunk version of season eighteen. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but that's my favorite version—the the more, I don't know, classy mm -hmm. sort of version. Okay, yeah, classy version. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of it was figuring out how to wear the scarf, and once I started wearing it with the two long ends hanging down my back, like mm -hmm. like your classic dramatic scarf, like it's like ah, that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nice, yeah. nice. No, it it looks it looks spiffy. It looked very nice. Yeah, thanks. Cuts cuts a very nice silhouette. But then again, that's that's the glory of Tom Baker. Um, yes. So all about the scarf. What, with all of these different um, creative fabrics, what has been your favorite material to work with? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Sorry, I'm trying. I'm trying I, to I, think. I understand. I, I get you. Hmm. I mean, if you'd said least favorite, that would have been. Uh, 
I don't know. Um, I, I'm less scared of stress, stretch fabrics than I used to be. I used to be really scared of stretch fabrics. Mm-hmm. Um, just running through my costumes in my head. I, I... Polyesters, fun furs, rayon, oh, um, silk, definitely. acetate. I, I like natural fibers better than polyesters. They don't f- tend to fray as badly. Um, mm-hmm. And and knits, I almost always manage to poke a hole in knits. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the worst. My um my Romana Armageddon Factor costume. I used a ballpoint needle in the machine, and still, every seam is just it's it's like a poke dot of little holes along every seam. It's mm-hmm. the most traumatic thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, the materials I love really are not so much the fabric materials as the uh, the hard materials like fun foam and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I love those more. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, I can sew, but the, the sewing is just basically an excuse to get around to making the armor and props. Um, <laughs> okay. I like making props so much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Fair, no, fair enough. Um, they, they do tend to be a little more fun, a little more hands-on, literally. Um do you uh, do you find that when you're making stuff, like, are you mostly making it out of foam, or are you just like jury rigging out of you know household junk? Uh, lots of household junk. Lots of household junk. Um, I use foam a lot because you know it's cheap, it's easy, it's um, it, it can take a lot of different finishes. Um, I'm also I, I like paper mache quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's very old school, but. Um, so um, I just did the Captain America with the Lucky Star cab door, um, and that is a full-scale size car door um, that I made out of insulation foam and paper mache. Um, mm-hmm. So that was – I'd never worked with insulation foam before. I don't think I ever want to work with it again. It's a <laughs> lot of work for what you get out of it. Mm-hmm. So tired of my power sander. Mm-hmm. But, um, right. So you well. Now, when you made that, was that off off photo reference or, or what? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The most irritating thing about that car door is that once I had gotten deep enough into it to be committed and not be able to go back, I found out that the actual prop is built at seventy-five percent scale. Mine is built full scale. Why did um, they? Why did they do that? Do you know? So that it looks smaller against Chris Evans, mm-hmm. so that he looks bigger and more muscular, mm-hmm. and also. Having held a full scale one, it hides most of you, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, so if they want the character to be seen, you can't have the full size door because right. you can't even see him behind it. Right, right. Um, uh, but yeah, it was fun figuring out the scale for that because um, there were some photo references from when the co- the prop car went up to auction and the prop door went up to auction, um, and so that helped me figure out what make and model of real car it was. And then I could, I found a website in Russia that had. <laughs> details for it like the wheelbase and things like that mm-hmm. and that let me figure out the proportions mm-hmm. to be able to figure out what size the car door should be that that was that was a fun project um mm-hmm. i had to do a lot of different things with that i had to um because you know i wanted it to look as real as possible so it's got a vinyl interior and padded and quilted and it's got you know handles i bought off ebay and um you know rubber gaskets and all kinds of stuff so that's that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I was wondering that too. I thought that's pretty neat about the uh, the seventy five percent scale, but also that it was. Um, I mean, exactly. You're not just going off a movie; you're going off a real car, so you can a go real do life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really interesting to be able to have a real life object to base it on. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've not really had that experience before with any props, and and it was really funny. People kept coming up to me. Um, I'm used to costumes that you know I do obscure, fairly obscure costumes uh, for the most part. You know, um, 1960s Doctor Who villains and things like that. Right. Um, so I'm used to the double takes and then people getting it. Uh, that was a triple take costume. Mm-hmm. People would look at me and then they'd go away and like half an hour later I'd see the same person and they'd say, I figured out who you are. You're so awesome. <laughs> and then they'd say, great obscure costume. And I'm sitting there going, obscure costume? This was on movie screens. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even burned by the BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, talk to me when you find some missing episodes. Um, exactly. But yeah, the rest is pretty. It's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, it's just uh, yeah, like a white just shirt a and pants. yeah, yeah, yeah. But are they accurate to nineteen forties? Ah, I look, look. Okay, I did invest in a nineteen forties style bra. I hope you're happy. Okay, nineteen forties. <laughs> and style actually, bra. um, having invested in one, I discovered that it makes a huge difference for nineteen sixties companions. Mm-hmm. To have the proper bra silhouette, mm-hmm. it just takes that costume up a notch. So, mm-hmm. um, if you are interested in doing a 1960s female companion, I highly recommend getting an old-fashioned pointy-style bra. It makes a big difference. All right, duly noted. Yeah, you male companions don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that getting like a 60s uh, G-strap is not going to help us at all. Um, <laughs> not going to help you now. No. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's Tom Baker boxers or briefs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, although uh, it does help to have uh, the higher cut trousers for all of the older doctors. Yes. Uh, something that a lot of people uh, don't really. If, if you're not, if you're not going and doing that research, or you're not going to spend the money to have it made from scratch, and you just get regular modern pants, uh, they never quite. No matter how good the color or the uh, fabric is, you'll never get it to look right because they've got they've got to go up to your navel. You know, they've got to be, yeah. Just, yeah, the equivalent of what I call grandfather pants. They've got to be, just be yeah. huge. But in a weird way, having worn them, I'm like, I kind of, I see why fashion's gone the way it's gone. But <laughs> I kind of miss this because, hey, you know, it, you never, ever worry about your shirt getting untucked, for one thing. Like, yeah. Definitely like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, the pants were meant to cover this much of your body. Oh, okay. And the shirt just sort of like fills in a little bit <laughs> where the coat doesn't <laughs> cover. But, uh, yeah, and I've, I, uh, I had a 1930s suit for a long time and, uh, that was interesting because of the way they cut the armpits and how the uh-huh. whole fit of the thing is. So at first you put it on, you're like, ah, this is so constricting. And then after yeah. about an hour, you're fine in it. You realize, oh no, it fits and it's like anything else. It does affect your posture for the better. Yeah. I think, I think people actually have better posture in these clothes instead of the kind of casual, more yes. laid, laid back sloppy look we kind of have now mm-hmm. yeah a lot of vintage clothing is made for good posture <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so it's it's fascinating definitely fascinating I, i've been trying to get into uh more 60s suits just because I, I had to do a lot of research when i got my steed suit and uh and now like i'm always keeping an eye out for like a very cool uh british mod um two or three piece yeah suit. yeah with a high break i'm like oh that's so neat and just because standard suits like eh, but to me that's like it's got just enough style just enough kind of verb yeah. to it that's got you know kind of yeah neat. um yeah it's anyway. it's classy without being ostentatious yeah yeah that's it and and power of narrow trousers right <laughs> 
Uh, so in terms of like when you approach any of these, whether it's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or Doctor Who, uh, what is your take on accuracy? How accurate does it need to be for you? And like, I, I this came up before, but if you catch that there is a mistake, just as you caught that the door was 75% mm-hmm. scale, do you replicate that to be accurate to what they had on screen? Or do you just say, no, historically, it's this. So I'm going to make sure it's accurate to what it would have been in history as opposed to on screen. Actually, I can tell you right there that, no, I did not. Um, In Shada, Mm -hmm. uh, Romana's blouse, Mm -hmm. on her right-hand sleeve, one of the embroideries is is coming undone. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can actually kind of tell where it is in filming by how undone it is. Oh, right. Um, And yes. I did not replicate that. I went ahead and did the embroidery the full, uh, the full way. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I did not replicate that. But um, accuracy, um, I think accuracy is absolutely wonderful. I have all kinds of respect for all you guys who like do the group runs and custom weave fabric and all that. It's just amazing and awe inspiring. Um, but. I'm a librarian. Librarians <laughs> do not make much money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, accuracy kind of comes up against reality for mm-hmm. me. Um, but uh, what I think, what I feel is that you should, kn- if you can't be accurate, you should know where you are being unac- inaccurate. You should know what accurate should be. Mm-hmm. You should do all the research um, and you should you know, figure out what right is. And then maybe you do have to fudge it some, but at least you'll know what the hundred percent accurate thing would be that you were aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like don't just say, Oh, it's green fabric. I'll use this green muslin. I found at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better if you say like, okay, I know the original is a hand woven woolen tweed and forest green with a faint red window pane check. I can't afford that but okay i found this wool poly remnant on ebay it's the right shade of green and the right weight and it doesn't have the window pane but that's the faintest detail it's gonna read right you know i know know what you're fudging try to fudge towards the read mm-hmm. um yeah um but and um if you use cheap materials don't treat them like cheap materials hmm. um if if you give two people fun foam and paper mache and you know acrylic paint and one of them says okay i don't have much money but i'm going to put all my love and effort into using these materials i'm going to do the absolute best i can with these i'm going to treat them like the real thing mm-hmm. and the other person says uh it's just fun foam and paper mache there's not point much point in putting much effort into it i'll just you know throw it together Mm-hmm. It's gonna show. Mm-hmm. It's really gonna show. So, um, you know, even if you're using cheap materials, you should do the best you can with them. Right. Right. No, it makes sense. That's that's good. It's good to have that philosophy for sure. Um, what um, uh, what was I gonna say? The um, well, I'm gonna springboard over to is that is that what you feel is the most important thing you have learned doing cosplay or which, I mean, and this can cover a technique or just a general life philosophy. Really. I like to cover the bases there because I know oh, it's different for everybody. Um, well, I, honestly, the best thing I've gotten out of this hobby and I know everybody says it, but it's true is the friends I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, just 
to to encounter other people who have that same creative drive and the same interests and um you know to get to know them better and then find out how much more else you have in common and get look look forward to seeing each other it's yeah mm-hmm. it's it's a quality of friends that is is different from people who are not into this fandom <laughs> well uh well i i like to look at it as you know i mean you you attended cons before dressing up and you still like yeah. doctor who you still like lord of the rings you still like most of the same kind of stuff um and it's not to say you didn't meet cool people but i got the impression when i used to do that that it was i hate to use the word harder to meet people but it was less likely that you yeah. met people and connected at least people you plain up didn't know you might have had your core right. group of friends you would have gone with regardless because, you know, you knew them in school or something. But, um, yeah, I, I found it's been a it's almost been like a calling card way to meet other yeah. fans. Well, it, you're wearing your fandom literally on your sleeve. Yeah. Um, you know, it's immediately obvious that you have that much in common and it gives you something to talk about right off. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, how did you make that cool whatever or where did you get that? Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, some of the people I... I met, you know, like on the forums, um, all my elf armor folks, um, I met on the forums while making the armor and we didn't actually meet in person until we all met for the group. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so we were friends before we met sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but, um, it's, it's just been a very broadening experience for me. I've learned that I can that you can do pretty much anything if you put your mind to it and think of a way to, to bring it down to within your skill set um, and, and keep expanding your skill set. But um, don't, don't look at something and be overwhelmed by it. Break it down into the pieces you can handle, and it's amazing what you can do. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, that, you look at a whole costume, even a, a tough piece of um, Iron Man armor or something, and yeah, you start to just deconstruct and go, okay, one piece at a time. And and then maybe you do hit one bump with one major piece and maybe you need to oh, yeah. help on that with a tutorial or someone to help sit you down or something, you know, that's fine, you know, and then you learn how to work that out later, but that becomes the only real obstacle. So that means once you've right. solved that obstacle, everything else is just falls into place. Oh yeah. I hit a point with every single costume I make. There is a point at some point where... I hate the whole costume. It looks horrible. I never want to see it again. Mm. It was a terrible idea to do this. Why did I ever think I could do this costume? <laughs> oh, I'm a loser. I'm a total... And, 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 and just for like a week, I hate the world and everything in it in my costume. And then I keep working on it anyway. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, that's working. Oh, I fixed that bit that looks bad. And suddenly I love the world. My costume is the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long does it normally take you to put one together on average? Uh, are we counting sane time or insane time? Because um, um, so so like three months of scattered. Okay, I've got lots of time until the con. I'll work on this every weekend and maybe do a little sewing at night, and then maybe a month of okay, the con's really close. I need to probably work on this, you know, all day on the weekends and. Maybe a little at night. And then, like, the week before the con is just, okay, eat, sleep, work, costume. Eat, sleep, work, costume. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're saying that if you were to, to compress that, it, you're talking about, what, an average of three months per costume? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Depending on the costume. Yeah. I mean, there's some that are just like, um, I've got one I've been working on. And, and there's some of them that I just work on off and on. Mm-hmm. You know, do a little bit here. And then I I, I don't have a set goal of when I'm going to wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on one costume for years. So. <laughs> Um, what what is left on your Doctor Who bucket list, by the way? Ah, I only have one costume left on my bucket list. I, you know, I I did the Mavellan, I did Shada, I did Eldrad. Um, the one thing that's left on there, and it's totally obscure, is Sherna from um the uh, bother it now. I'm blanking out on the name of the serial. Pertwee, darn. I need even I need more to go on. I'm like Carnival sure. of Monsters. Oh, Monsters. Sherna, yeah, yes, the nope. penny penny drops. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I with the bobbles in her hair. Yep. And it's so um ridiculously shiny and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's I have a, no idea what makes me love that costume so much, but I do love it. It's a, it's a bold choice. That's a bold choice. Wow. Wow, you that well. Then you need a mini scope to carry around with you, right? Yes, or or uh, maybe a drashig hand puppet. Drashig hand puppet, <laughs> yeah. Or the or those three uh, purple dudes who are always being bureaucratic and arguing <laughs> about everything. Yes. Um, yeah, they're oh, boy. <laughs> it, it, that's a strong serial for design. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think I'll be able to find a vork though. I'm. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, I would hate to try to be Vorg to try to source that fabric. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh! Ah, mm-hmm. uh, Carnival of Monsters, a seventies classic. Yeah. Mm. And I've got, I've got one, one Doctor Who costume I'm going to try to do for um, Timegate this year, but it's a secret. Um, oh, okay. Nobody in their right mind would do this costume. It's an awful costume from a fairly bad serial, and I'm absolutely thrilled at the prospect. <laughs> Is it the Bannerman? <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's mostly just because I have some fabric left over from another project and, mm-hmm. and, and a crazy mind. So, But you have to understand, um, the Time Gate crowd I hang out with is uh, part of us is the Obscure Alien Forces group. Uh, um, okay. we have, we've had people costume as a background fish person. From, from um, Underwater Menace? On the underwater Menace, Holy yes. crap. Wow. <laughs> okay. So it's like we try to out, out obscure and out weird each other. So yeah, wow. I'm looking forward to this one. You know, during uh, the the Who Thursday nights I host or the the marathons, every once in a while we'll find some random character. We're like, we're gonna do that. And I know the one that we keep coming back to are the Green Swampies from Power of Kroll. We keep yes. thinking like, yeah, we should just do a crowd of the Swampies. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love the wigs on them, especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one that always catches my eye, which I will never do because it's it's beyond obscure and literally nobody, even the most dedicated Doctor Who fan, not even you would get it. Okay. Um, it's from um, Horns of Nemon. Yeah. Um, his second in command has the most epic costume. It's like the Gondorian guards meets Flash Gordon. It's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful costume design. Mm-hmm. Absolutely marvelous. Mm-hmm. And I would love to do just on that. But nobody's going to get it at all. Are, you're, not talking like, about the, you're not talking about the guy who always kept yelling weakling scum, are you? I think with the feathers in his helmet. Feathers in his helmet? 
Maybe that maybe yeah. maybe this was the other guy. Yeah, it's there was the dude who when they go to the the ship, it's his whole no, thing. He mm-hmm. this is Soldi's second in command. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's it's an epic costume, but like I say, nobody would get. I wouldn't get it if I wasn't studying it. You know, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I'm never gonna do it. But I just great costume design. Pity it's thrown away on a background character. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. There's there's a lot I like about seventies who with their designs. You know, people go, oh, it's so seventy, and I go, but you want to know what? They're making a choice. They're making a very distinct, bold choice, and there's a reason why so many of those designs, I think, still resonate. Uh, there's a reason yeah. why the Zygons are so well remembered, but they only showed up once, um, and stuff like that. Whereas you know, a lot of modern uh, stuff to me, it's almost too tame. It's almost like, oh, well, yeah, how do we make it more real? How do we ground it more? And I go, yeah, I salute that thinking a little bit. Like, you don't want them wearing day glow orange and sparkly suits. I get that. But, you know, there's there's got to be a way to do something that's just striking and not, you know. Yeah, it, it's also forgettable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a reason why the only um, New Who costume I've done is a Weeping Angel. Because <laughs> none of the others have just caught, none of the others have caught my fancy, mm-hmm. you know. Sure, sure. I just don't. Well, I mean, even the '60s companions would get cool looks like Dodo and the Lo- Fruit Loops dress, and uh, yeah, and and um, uh, Joe Grant. My gosh, some of the things she wears are absolutely epic. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And Ramon, of course, both Ramonas had some awesome dresses oh, and yeah. and outfits. So, and Leela in the in the leather <laughs> get up. Yes, <laughs> um, I, I I actually um I. I keep toying with the idea of doing Leela's um dress from uh gosh I can't remember my serial episode names tonight. Talents of Wang Chang. I was gonna say that uh Korean dress. I love mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, people keep asking me, uh, hey, how come you'll never do Talon's Tom Baker? And I thought because everyone's gonna think I'm Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone's gonna get that that's Talon's unless I've got Leela and a giant rat next to me, you know, it's uh, <laughs> And then uh, they'll uh, and it'll be just exactly the same thing like like I had with uh, Romana and K9. People mm-hmm. are gonna say, "Oh, look, it's K9," and they aren't gonna use K9 as a clue. They're gonna say, "Oh, and Princess Leia." Leia. Mm-hmm. They're gonna say, "Oh, look, it's Sherlock Holmes and an R O U S." Yeah, R O U S. Oh wow! At Gallifrey, some people would certainly get that's definitely a Gallifrey costume. You would never try that at Dragon Con or Comic Con, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Um, we yeah. have we have talked about. Uh, for a Thursday night Gallifrey thing, and uh, this to me is a perfect Dragon Con costume. Is doing the television version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy group. Um, so mm-hmm. you have a, a Ford, an Arthur, a Trillion, and uh, and the TV Zaphod. And I thought, you know, I would love to do that. I've got a, a deep affinity for that version of Hitchhiker. Uh, but weirdly enough, what keeps me from doing it, at least the core characters, forget about doing Zaphod's second head and doing a Marvin or whatever. <laughs> Uh, it's the fact that I'm like, oh my god, how would I match like Ford's sweater and like the, right. and the crazy pattern of uh, that that check pattern of uh, Arthur's robe? I'm like, right. uh, I know there's a way to do this if I really think about it, but it's like trying to find a fabric that's going to match that. And the time and you're that we sitting had, here yeah. realizing you're you're analyzing a 1970s bath towel, right? It's like, look at my life choices. Yes. How did I get to this moment? <laughs> Analyzing in 1970s. <laughs> Which is why I understand why most people do the movie, because that's easier. It's solid. Right. It helps when it's just a solid row. <laughs> Much easier costumes to take into account. 
Um, yeah, that and I, I've been trying to convince uh, uh, my friend to do uh, copies of the uh, the TV book with a giant cover that comes off and don't panic. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. love that. That would make me so happy to have the uh, the clunky old <laughs> 1970s uh, book. Not not the nice, sleek, like, iPad book, but the... Uh... <sighs> anyway, just <laughs> thinking about Hitchhiker. Okay, um, so, uh, so basically it sounds like... Uh, your your number one thing you've learned is making friends. What is your number one tip to beginners in cosplay? Um okay. Well, philosophically versus realistically. Um philosophically, I'd say that the imperfect costume you actually make is always going to be better than the perfect costume that never gets past the planning stage. Mm-hmm. At some point you just have to knuckle down and do it. Um craftily speaking, I would say um if you're going to make a costume, your first costume that you actually make instead of, you know, buying and altering pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you're just beginning to learn skills you need, don't make the mistake of thinking that a simple costume will be easier. Um, I see this actually a lot with anime and comic book costumes where people think, oh, you know, it's just big blocks of solid color and it's, you know, squares and it's a simple shape. That'll be really easy to make. But the problem is the simpler a costume is, the less fussy it is, the more precise and well-made it has to be to look good. Um, You know, if you don't believe me, try making a white cotton t-shirt. It's surprisingly hard. It's it's surprisingly challenging even for a practice seamstress to make a white cotton t-shirt that looks like a t-shirt you would buy at the store. Um, Because there's nothing to hide any mistakes. So um, if, if you're just starting out, I'd honestly recommend going for a costume that looks a little more complicated, something that has lots of layers, something that's flowing rather than tailored, something that um, has trim and texture to distract the eye from mistakes, and above all, something that has weathering. Mm. Because um, there's nothing like weathering to hide a lot of mistakes. Um, and it, and it, weathering instantly makes a costume look more real. So that would kind of be my recommendation there. I salute that. That uh, no, very, very good tips all around. And I, I, I never fully thought about that, but that makes perfect sense about a, a white cotton T-shirt. <clears throat> um, Bob pauses while he looks over questions that he realizes. <laughs> wow, I've, I've, I've asked most of the uh, the major important ones here. Um, Have I derailed your order of asking questions? I derailed myself on the order. Don't worry about that. Um, what have you ever been commonly misidentified for a different character? Yo, yes. Um, like I said, as, as Happiness Patrol, I was called Jem a lot. Right. Um, and Ramana was Princess Leia. Um, let's see. So I was really surprised with Shada Ramana. I did not get called Mary Poppins as much as I thought I would be. Hmm. I really thought I would be called Mary Poppins more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mind being misidentified. What bothers me about being misidentified is not that they think that I'm doing a different character than I am, but that they think I'm doing a bad representation of that character. Because Mm. a very accurate Happiness Patrol costume is a really inaccurate gem costume. Right, right. So it's like, no, don't think that I'm this bad at making costumes. Right, right. Different character. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Here's the Um, photo. Think it through. Uh, um, for, I, at the at the convention that will not be named that I went to earlier this year, I mm-hmm. rewore my um, Galadriel armor mm-hmm. for the first time since um, 
since when I first made it, when the movies first came out. And throughout the whole convention, people kept coming up to me and saying how much they like my Game of Thrones costume. I still have no idea which huh. costume they think it is. Interesting. But apparently it was a really good Game of Thrones costume. What do I know? What do you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it makes. It, I always wonder what people are, are really looking at. Sometimes you, you, you get it, and other times you're like, whoa, that was left field. Where did that come yes. from? Um, yeah, but I think people are, especially when you're wearing a costume, they, they are, it, it's almost like a test. Like, they want to figure out who you are. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and it's almost like there's that, there's that moment where they feel proud of themselves when they solve it. And that's great when you're both on the same page. Like, oh, wow, that is so, so amazing. Captain America, First Avenger with the car door. And then there's the people that they get it wrong. And I, you're, you're almost, how should I put it? Like some, it depends on the person, how they approach me. If I'll like correct them and then we get on on the right foot. And there's other people where I just kind of nod my head and go, yeah, good call. And I walk on. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, Mm-hmm. I don't really want to have this conversation with you right now. Yeah, you got it absolutely right. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. I mean, the, the most common one for me was when I would wear uh, the Kirk Allen Superman, and people would think I'm George Reeves. And I'm like, well, close enough, you know? Like, I, I, I only, you know, because I also, you don't want to be that guy who's always correcting people either. You want to, like, just right. have a good time. So it's uh, <sighs> life yeah, choices. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the girls in our group uh, regularly regularly does a th- Tharil from uh, Warriors Gate, uh-huh. um, and she's gotten misidentified. Oh, sure. She's like, oh, the cowardly lion and things like that. She's, mm. She she collects them by now. She she has a collection of things she's been misidentified as. That's the thing about obscure cosplay. Yeah, that's why I, there are some people that do it, and then they get all mad when no one gets who they are. And that's why I try to tell people like. Understand that when you pick something obscure, you're doing it for you. You're not really doing yeah. it for them. Um, and yeah. once you understand you that, you're and fine. about three other people. <laughs> yeah, those three will love you, but understand. And if you want adulation, then you have to go for a popular character. Yes. Just bite the bullet yeah. and pick your Han Solo, Slave Leia, Superman, Batman. Pick something that nobody can mistake you, and then go have fun. If that's what you want, yep. if that's your thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, have, have I missed talking about a major costume of yours? I, I'm looking at the list and I'm like, no, we've kind of talked about a lot of these. Um, I, I, I did the elf armor. Um, that was very early on. Um, um, that was, that was one of my first major, major costumes. And, um, that was, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that one because, um, as I say, it was back in the day when nobody um, shared their methods. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just when people had just really started sharing their methods. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to pioneer craft foam armor in the costuming community. Um, nobody else had done it. Um, and and I just, I, I know now that other people in the theater have been doing it for years mm-hmm. um, in the movie industry, but nobody had done it in the costuming industry. So, um to make that tutorial and um, put it out there and have people start using it. And people are still using it to this day. I have so many little, um, you know, it, it's such an easy way to make armor. It's totally kid friendly. Mm-hmm. It's non-toxic. You can get all the materials at your local Walmart. And so I have so many people who are just getting in costuming. Who That's the first way they make their armor. And to have 
started so many people off in that direction and have so many people video it's it's like I've enabled that many people with the equivalent of water wings for the costuming pool. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been one of the best things to be able to know that that's my legacy in the costuming community was that armor mm-hmm. and that technique. So that, that I really liked. Um, and uh, I actually rewore that costume for the first time this year. And I was so pleased because it's been sitting in a hot attic for 10 years um, and all I had to do was straighten it out a little with a little bit of heat, and it was 100% wearable. And I was so tickled. I didn't think it would hold up to the time and the heat that well, and it did. It was mm. just, yay! Wow. Um, Bonus. Yep. Yeah, um, and the Gladriel costume, um, which is, uh, that one's fun. I see that one. Sometimes that'll pop up on Tumblr with people saying, this is cool, because that's the one where I made the uh, breastplate out of, um, plastic half-formed mannequin and sticker labels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a fun one. And <laughs> I know you sometimes um, bring up the question of, have you been harassed in costume as a girl? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really, and you know some of the costumes I wear. I've I've worn some you know, pretty skin-tight things like yeah. Eldrad and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've only ever ha- been groped in two costumes. <laughs> okay. One of them was Gladriel, Dark mm-hmm. Gladriel. Mm-hmm. I was taking a photo with one guy and I just suddenly became vaguely aware that there was a hand down there trying to cop a feel. Mm-hmm. There's literally 50 yards of fabric in that skirt. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there going, we haven't got long enough for you to get where you can feel anything, dude. You just have fun back there because you aren't going to get anywhere. He's he wow. was like yards and yards of fabric and it's just really dude (laughs) and the only other costume i've ever been groped in was jack sparrow and that was by girls um wow wow the tables have turned reverse sexism i love it um (laughs) geez and here i'm thinking like boy and the obvious ones i would think would be eldrad or emma peel because you know they're so skin tight but uh all right good to know yeah and then i i I, I don't know if I should be flattered or not, you know, that I haven't been. Um, but no, I really haven't. Um, hmm. no, Eldred, I, I, Eldred just kind of blows people's minds. Mm-hmm. It's so sparkly and stuff that, that, that they don't even see, seem to treat me as a human as more of a piece of walking art. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's But yeah. Good. I'm glad to know. Glad Those to know are my that. hitting on stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you uh, have you found that? Um, I mean, because I mean, you've been around for ages, but I mean, have you ever encountered the uh, the issue where guys think, "Oh, you're a girl, so you must not really be into this stuff"? Oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think all girls have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I look as a librarian, I especially get it at work when I'm helping people um, select science fiction and fancy stories, and occasionally have to slap somebody down. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> do not even challenge my geek cred, dude. Just you don't want to go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, uh, well, I think part of it is that I. I the, I move in the Doctor Who circles a lot, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, if somebody sees you dressed as Liz Shaw, they don't even start to challenge your geek cred because they know you're 
pretty into the obscure stuff there. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well. Yeah. With the costume choices you've done, it makes it makes a lot of sense that no one would challenge you there. But you know, it's it always yeah. makes you wonder when when people. Uh, I'm trying to think what that would be. It I tends. Get, I, I almost think it happens more in the superhero and comic book stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm not. I never did read comic books growing up, so mm-hmm. I, I love the like the MCU and stuff like that. But I, I'm not really all that active in superhero costuming, so mm-hmm. I don't get that kind of experience. Um, you know, my other major fo- fandom is Tolkien, and um, th- those few years before the movies came out, yes, very much. Um, it, I was very much aware of being a, fa- a female in a male-dominated um fandom but mm-hmm. you know it kind of inverted itself once the movies came out and so that went away do you find when you do uh, characters where i mean it is, clearly you do a lot of female companions and stuff but you've done male characters like jack sparrow and so on mm-hmm. do you do you find that uh you were drawn more to male or female characters or it just doesn't matter you're just, you're just like i like that i like that costume i'm gonna do it uh yeah and um I am a female, um, and I am getting older every year, and I know that there's a limited number of years that I'll be able to do the young female costumes. So right now I'm kind of in the cram as many young female costumes in as I can before I'm too old to do them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I've kind of been shelving a lot of the male costumes lately because you can be older and still look okay in those. Um, But, yeah, a lot of it is just the costume design and the character and, and, you know, if I love them, I'll do it regardless mm-hmm. of whether they're male or female. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I'm not going to be able to do any of the big, like Captain America. There was no way I was going to do a, uh, you know, male Captain America. He's, you know, big hulking muscle bound dude. I'm this tall, skinny, shrimpy female. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's totally, I'm going to have to rule 54 that one. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, for the, the other, you know, the slightly more feminine male characters like Legolas and Jack Sparrow. Turns out that if you put a, a mustache and beard on any girl, they can do an amazing Jack Sparrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, literally, I won bets that night. Um, I, I had a drunk guy come up to me and say, we, we've got we got $10 riding on, are you a girl or a guy under that? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Power facial hair. I love it. Yeah, and and then you forget about it, and you walk into the women's bathroom and freak them out, and it's mm. like, no, it's okay, I'm a girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, funny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like Tootsie, but in reverse. Um, Very much. <laughs> um, so uh, I like to. I mean, you've done these tutorials. Where can people uh, read this online? Where can they find you online? Um, um, I am a luddite. I do not have a Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um. But pretty much anywhere online that's costume or geeky, if you see Penwiper or occasionally Penwiper337, that is probably me. Um, I have a rarely used Tumblr. I hang out at the RPF some. Um, I'm at the Pride on Academy board sometimes. Uh, mostly I just sort of ninja in post ninja away and then don't post for three months so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh i know you've had some great posts on dw cosplay um and the yes yes mm-hmm. i am pretty active in um, i'm pretty active in um the live journal community there mm-hmm. yeah 
All right. Well, I'll I'll leave a, a post to some of your uh, some of your costumes there, uh, as well as obviously photos for the actual website for Costume Station Zero. That'll be very cool. Um, yeah. I'm pretty wrapped up. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share about the hobby or your costume? Um, let me think. Let me think. Um, gosh. Uh, you know, if, if you've been this many years in the fandom, you you can't cover all your stories in one night. So mm-hmm. I know, I know. But but yeah, it's it's been good. Okay, um, I've en- I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. No, hey, thank you for being on. This is a long time coming for listeners. We've been we've been trying to plan this for like a year, <laughs> so I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Um, oh, and and what are you working on right now? Beyond uh, obviously um, the the big bucket list. Um, Sherna, I'm working on Sherna. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a little bit of historical stuff. I'm trying to finally get around to doing a Williamsburg style costume. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've got a long-term project. Uh, we have the old family trunk, mm-hmm. which turned out to have my great, great aunt's sewing patterns in it. And I want to try to make some of her dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, my long-term project costume that I've been working on off and on for years is, um, it's actually a book costume. Um, the character Sabriel from the Abhorson trilogy, uh, by Garth Nix, um, when I started it out, I was about the right age to do young Sabriel. By the time I finish it, I'll be about the right age to do old Sabriel. <laughs> Win-win. But mm-hmm. um, that I, I, it's, a, it's a great costume and a very striking one. And one of the few literary costumes that will be recognizable even without having any kind of a film representation. So. Mm. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, uh, Jen, thanks for being on. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to listening to future episodes of Costume Station Zero. Awesome. Yes, as as I do recording them. All right. Uh, well, we'll be back next week with more Shop Talk here on Costume Station Zero.